0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to The Bat-Around, coming to you live from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. The Bat-Around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. I am your host, Paul Vallee. Join Joining me, as always, is my excellent co-host and now producer, Zach Goodman. Uh, Zach, Orioles. They come out yeah. f- Come out firing on all cylinders out of the gate yesterday. 3-0 win over the Boston Red Sox on opening day. A day late for opening day. And I was, I was clearly upset on Thursday. I woke up at 9.30. I turned to Laura and I said, Happy opening day, babe. And then I pick up my phone and the first thing I see, not the second, not the third, the very first thing I see is a text message from 68255 that says, Opening day in Boston has been postponed until Friday at 210 due to inclement weather. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Dude, it's I was... Great, it's a
1: great thing to wake up to. I, I did the same thing.
0: I'm not kidding you. Look at my face. I sat there for probably an hour on my phone like this. Yeah,
1: I, I saw some of your tweets. It um, was... I wasn't happy either, but uh, it, it's...
0: I had to work on Friday. So I I take off every year for opening day. Mm -hmm. I had to work on Friday, which meant I would have been able to watch maybe the first three or four innings of the game before having to go into work and trudge around miserably in front of all my coworkers for six to seven hours. Um, so I did some finagling. I switched some shifts around. Probably lost out on about 150 bucks, which I really couldn't afford to do. But I also couldn't afford to miss opening day because I was doing the post game show for Birdland tonight after opening day. I've been signed up for that for like two or three months, uh, and we had to do this show. And I, so I can't miss opening day when I host a baseball show that's based in Baltimore about uh, around the Orioles the day after. I I, I can't right. So. <clears throat> Game gets rescheduled for Friday at 2.10. What really bugged me is that it was overcast with a 10% chance of rain from about 2 o'clock to 9 o'clock in Boston on Thursday. And if they didn't have the built-in off day, they wouldn't have canceled the game. They would have played. The Yankees dealt with the same weather uh, on, on, on Wednesday and Thursday. The entire East Coast got hit with cold weather and rain. On Wednesday night into Thursday morning, it was snowing in Detroit. <coughs> it, it's this
1: absolute insane snowstorm that's going on while Miguel Cabrera is hitting bombs, and we're seeing this video. And I'm going, "What is Boston doing? What, yeah. what is Boston doing?" It's I mean, you don't you don't cancel a game five hours prior because there's a 10 percent chance of rain. I, I've never seen that happen. I've before. never
0: I've never seen it in all my life. Well, they got their come up because Boston mustered just two hits. Uh, one of them coming in they the ninth it. inning with two outs, they 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 got what they. I don't want to say they got what they deserved because it wasn't wasn't the players. It wasn't the players' decision. The players, players would have played. They probably wanted to play, but it was um. Uh, me back up. Uh, sorry, bud. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't the players' decision, but it was uh it it, it was the whole team as a collective. Uh, they, they could have played the game. They should have played the game. If they didn't have the built-in off day, they would have played. It was they wanted sunny skies. Well, guess what? You lost to, to John Means and the Baltimore Orioles 3 to nothing, and you mustered just two hits and only one after the first batter of the game. And let's break that down, shall we? Zach, John Means turned in arguably the best start of his entire career uh, on Friday afternoon. Seven shutout innings, one hit, no walks. Five strikeouts, 97 pitches, 65 for strikes. Allows that lead-off single to Kike Hernandez, and then no other base runners after, other than an error by Michael Franco to lead off the second inning. Finished his game, retiring 18 in a row. John means absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, he, he
1: he was. That's probably the best I've seen John Means pitch. Um, and, and I really expected him to pitch fine. I, I didn't expect anything great. Like I I certainly did not see what was coming yesterday. Um, you know, John Means he had kind of a rough 2020. He got off the rough start for multiple reasons, not really related to to baseball completely. But and it was a weird COVID season. So you know, maybe we can just throw that out the window. He didn't look great in spring training. I kind of expected him to come out. And I remember talking to Stan about it. It's kind of a big year for him. It's it's a big year to kind of assert himself as the ace that we've been hoping he's, you know, going to become and really was in 2019. And then he comes out and does this and really was sensational is the word you, I saw you used on Twitter. That's a perfect way to put it. Um, he, he he wasn't hittable. He, he wasn't hittable. The, the changeup he was using was unbelievable. And we know about his changeup fastball combo. That's kind of been the bread and butter for John Means. He was the best I've ever seen him. Um, I don't even know if he'll ever pitch that well again. That was he was locked in. That was a masterful, masterful performance.
0: Well, I'm sitting there on Thursday night and I'm watching Kevin Galsman out, yeah. out in San Francisco. Uh I'm are, are they were they playing in San Francisco? No, they're playing in Seattle. Yeah, so They're think, playing yeah. in Seattle. And I'm watching him and he goes into the seventh inning allow, having allowed just one hit. Uh gave up another hit in the seventh inning, went six and two thirds innings allowed one run on two hits. And I'm like, man, Kevin Gossman, where was that guy in Baltimore? And if you felt bad about the fact that Gossman Gossman and Bundy are opening day starters for the Giants and the Angels, respectively, and you watch them go out and pitch really well on Thursday, John Means kind of squashed those concerns pretty darn darn quickly on on Friday. Um, But the big story aside from John Means in this phenomenal outing is Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini comes up to the plate in the first inning batting second with uh, Cedric Mullins on first base after the lead-off infield single. Gets the ovation, gets the props from the from the Red Sox dugout. And it's like, all right. Step 1 is complete. Step 1 is complete. Now look, yeah, he played he played in spring training, but it doesn't count until he steps foot on the right. reg- on the field in the regular season. First regular season action since 2019 after being diagnosed with stage 3 colorectal cancer uh, last spring. Grounded into a double play. Each of his first two at-bats. Two at-bats, four outs. Not the start he wanted. That first at-bat, though, the ball came off his bat over 100 miles an hour. Yeah. Uh, Rafael Devers made a nice play to kind of scoop it up to his left to uh, turn that double play. Uh, Mancini walks in the th- his third plate appearance, scores on the Mountcastle double, with it, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, and then a single on his fourth at-bat. He did have that base running blunder, getting caught in the rundown where eventually Santander was tagged out just before second base, uh, leaving Mancini at second. Um, but overall, got his feet wet. Got the monkey off his back. I'm sure a huge weight has been lifted off of Trey Mancini's shoulders. Just getting back into the lineup. um, What were your thoughts seeing Mancini step to the plate for the first time since his cancer diagnosis?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a big moment for him for sure. And it was exciting. I mean, you know, Trey Mancini, the Orioles would have been so much better if Trey Mancini had been in that lineup in 2020. They missed him. They really missed that bat. Um, And he's one of the most consistent and really, in my opinion, best hitters in the American League. I really think he's at the top of that list. Um, And, you know, to even see him hit those balls into the double play, you know, he hit both of those balls hard. He was actually looking really solid at the plate. Um, The one thing about Trey right now is I think his his timing may be just a little bit off. And that happens after not playing baseball for a year um, and having kind of a weird spring training as well. So you know, while he looked great and he got that hit, and that was awesome. Um, and he's hitting the ball hard. It's going to be you know an exciting season for him. And I, you know, I'm just very happy to see him back. So it's 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 great to see.
0: It it, it certainly was the story heading into the game. John Means kind of became the story, uh, and then Ryan Mountcastle, who's going to be a huge story for the Orioles, not just yeah throughout this season, but throughout the majority of his career, because that's a, that's a special bat. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle does the job in the sixth inning. base is loaded, one out, he comes up to the plate, um, works a full count. It's 3-1, and he takes a cutter off the outside edge, and it's ball four. It's ball four. Joe West calls it a strike. Not a strike. No. And, 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 And I liked the way Billy Ripken broke it down on MLB Network after the game. He takes that pitch. And it's, it's a ball, but Joe West calls it a strike. So now Mount Castle is thinking to himself, all right, now I don't have to just cover the outside edge. I have to cover three to four inches off the outside edge. And then he gets a 93-mile-an-hour fastball on the inner edge, still manages to get the barrel on it, and hits it off the top of the green monster. That is a special hitter. Yeah. To be able to do that, when you know that you have to cover it with two strikes and the base is low, you have to cover the outer half and you manage to get the hands in, get the barrel on the bat on the inner half, and almost hit the ball out of the ballpark for a grand slam. Make no mistake, in June, that's a grand slam. Yeah, I mean, in most
1: ballparks, that's a grand slam, honestly. He hit that ball really hard. Now, I know the wind was swirling a little bit at Fenway, so I'm not sure how much that played a part in it. Um, There was one ball hit off John Means that every announcer, both on the Boston and Baltimore side, thought that ball was Bobby Dahlbeck. Bobby Dahlbeck, Dahlbeck, yeah. And I I think the wind played a part in both of those balls, but he's killing the ball already. It didn't take long at all, Um, and it's great to see. I mean, you talked about how he's just a special hitter, and that that's the thing about Ryan Malcastle, is he's been that way everywhere he's gone. You know, whether it was single-A, double-A, triple-A, he's hit everywhere, and he's done it at a very high level. I remember back in, in 2018, 2017, around there, going to Orioles Fan Fest, Buck Showalter, talking about Ryan Malcastle and what he's seen out of him in spring training, and he said that... This is a guy who, when he hits the ball, the ball sounds different off his bat. There's a clear difference between a guy like Ryan Malcastle and any other prospect in the Orioles' system at the time. And that just told me something. That told me Ryan Malcastle is the real deal hitter, and he's not just a, a guy who you've got to really worry about. He is a pure, really, really solid hitter. So it, I'm super excited to see what he does.
0: It, it speaks to the player that he is yeah. that he's barely 24 years old. He has 35 games as a major leaguer under his belt. And on opening day against the Boston Red Sox in the American League East, he's batting fourth right. in your lineup.
1: Right. I mean, that, that just shows you what he is. That it, shows you what he is.
0: The the guys especially. He's not Juan Soto. He's not right. Ronald Acuna Jr., but he's on the next tier. And, and, and who knows? He could turn in to one of those guys. The The, the bat is special. The Orioles know it. The fans know it. And, he, and it goes to show... He comes up to the plate with the bases loaded in that game it's a, it's a scoreless tie in the 6th inning and you knew by come hell or high water he was going to get a run home you just knew it. You, you knew it. I mean, he's just a guy
1: who, when you step up, when he steps up to the plate, you know what you're getting out of Ryan Malkas. So he's not, you know, sometimes he's going to chase and he's going to strike out a considerable amount because he is a power hitter, and we've got to remember that. But he is very, very, a special talent. Um, and, and I think if he doesn't win rookie of the year this year, I'd be very surprised. I said that on the last show, but this is a guy who's going to hit. And it's sad because I think Ryan Malkas will generally be undervalued during his career because he is a guy who only has the bat and he just isn't really a fielder at any position yet in his career and he could become better at left field could become better at first base but that's the 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 drawback to ryan malcastle and it always has been you know he came up as a shortstop that didn't work he moved him to third base that didn't work now you try him at left field first base and he's fine you know he'll be serviceable at either position but that's the biggest drawback to ryan malcastle was never about the bat the bat is special he is.
0: He is going to tear the cover off the ball in 2021. I'm very confident of that. Oh yeah, and, and, and he already is. He already yeah. is. I'm expecting big, th- big things from him this year. Just like Craig Amzinger yeah. uh, on uh, MLB tonight, doing the uh, 30 teams in 30 days. He said he expects 300. Thirty homers, hundred RBIs out of Mount Castle. We'll take it. I expect something very similar. I think yeah. he's a thirty homer, thirty double guy this year for the Orioles. And, and
1: imagine what he's going to be in three years. I mean, he's going to get even more big and powerful, and and more big, big. more more big. I mean, it's the <laughs> way it's. He, he's going he's going to get more power though. That's my point. He's going to get more power. This is not a guy who's done growing. This is not a guy who is a, a finished product by any means. This is a guy who's going to keep getting better. What's he going to be like in three years? He he could be one of the best oh. hitters in the. If he isn't already, in the uh, Mar- in the we're, we're, we're
0: talking MVP yeah. ty- type yeah. of, type of player. Uh, Thirty six games under his belt, yeah. and he's already off and running. Um, another guy who had a, who had a big game yesterday. Cedric Mullins in the leadoff spot. And I, I got to be honest, I'm watching this game, and I see Nathan Navaldi start the game off with a 99 mile an hour fastball on in the inner third, and I said to myself, "Oh, good luck, Cedric. Yeah. G- good yeah. luck." And I almost tweeted it, but I didn't. I stopped myself, and sure enough, he hit. He gets an infield single, uh, adds another hit later in the game, scores a run for the Orioles. Two hits uh, in four bats leading off. Anthony Santander contributed his own RBI single in the eighth to pad the Orioles' lead. Rio Ruiz put on a defensive clinic at second at second base. Now I got to be honest. Never expected with you. to say that one. I I saw him start at second in each of the last two games in the Grapefruit League, and I didn't say it out loud. But I thought to myself, Hyde's going to start him at second base on opening day. He's starting him right now uh, in these last two Grapefruit games because he wants to see what he has. He's going to start him at second base. And sure enough, the lineup comes out, and Rio Ruiz is starting at second base. And he looked like he'd been doing it his entire career. Yeah, he he was fantastic there. He made
1: three, uh, Brandon Hyde called it, plus-plus plays. Those were... Excellent two over the shoulder catches and an incredible diving stop. That's not an everyday second baseman thing. That is that is superstar defense right there. That is, I haven't seen an Orioles second baseman do that in a long, long time. And maybe Yorma Sanchez would have done that, but they knew what they were doing clearly putting Rio Ruiz in second looked, base.
0: He looked fluid, yeah, he looked natural. I love Jonathan Scope, I, I loved him yeah. in Baltimore but I never saw him make a play like that diving play in the hole that Ruiz made right. in the seventh inning. You look at the first over-the-shoulder grab. Had to run 106 feet to make that catch with Santana there sliding at his ankles, and he makes a grab. That play, I'm telling you right now, that play changed the game because there's already a runner on first base. Uh, that ball drops in, and you are looking. You have first and second with one out in, in, in that inning coming up for the heart of the order. Um, that was... That play that he made changed the course of the game, in my humble opinion. And then the play in the seventh inning: Alex Verdugo, the lead off the inning on a two-two count, hits a ground ball in the hole that looks for sure like a base hit. Rio Ruiz makes the diving stop and the, and the strike. It was a solid throw to first base to get to get uh, Verdugo by a couple of steps. That kept John Means in the game. John Means gives up that base hit, and I'm telling you, Brandon Hyde's coming up those steps now to that out to that mound yep. if Verdugo gets on base. Next thing you know, John Means is completing seven innings of one-hit ball, and the Orioles go on to win 3-0. Tanner Scott was the first guy out of the bullpen. Now, we saw Cesar Valdez warming up after the sixth inning. So so we all thought that, at least I thought, that Means wasn't coming back out for the seventh, but sure enough, he did. Uh, Then you see Tanner Scott come into the game in the eighth inning. Did this surprise you? No, it did not surprise me. I actually thought that that would
1: be the way it would go. You know, Tanner Scott do the eighth and and Cesar Valdez do the ninth, and that's the way it went. Um, you know, Tanner Scott, he's very dynamic. His arm is, is, is incredible. He's a fire thrower, um, and his control has started to get better over the past couple of years. He was unbelievable in 2020. I'm not sure Brandon Hyde yet entrusts him with that ninth inning, closer spot. I just don't know if he, he thinks he can control it well enough and, and, and bring his velocity down a little bit to actually get the ball in the zone. I'm not sure Brendan Hyde has that trust yet. So I would think that would be the reason Tanner Scott was the eighth. But that is the guy I want to bring him with the lead. I, I think in the eighth, seventh, any any time, that is the guy I want in the game. Well,
0: and, and Hyde has always said that he's going to look at the matchups and he's going to – it. He, he doesn't necessarily believe in a closer – because if you're clinging to a two run lead in the seventh inning and you have the 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 team's three, four, five hitters coming up, right, you want your best reliever in there and you're not gonna save your he's not gonna save his closer, his closer, air quotes, for the ninth inning if he needs those three outs right there. So I understand that. <clears throat> but when he's coming into a clean inning, I get it because Tanner Scott's walk numbers throughout his career have not been great. He went from six and a half walks per nine innings in 2019 down to four and a half down to four point four in 2020. But his career number is five point four walks per nine innings. Walked two guys yesterday. Now the 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 one out walk to I'm sorry the the lead off walk to Devers is probably shouldn't have happened right because he 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 throws he dots the outside corner. Yeah with a ninety seven mile an hour fastball and Joe West just missed the call. It was a it was a perfect pitch it, it was right on the
1: corner and, and masson showed as a strike masson you know they they have the box now which is great yeah. and, and it, it, it was a strike so that was a miss by joe west joe had a uh, joe had a couple uh key misses during that game but as every umpire does can't yeah. blame him too much there well, but uh, that the, was a really good pitch by tanner scott. The,
0: the key miss against mountcastle turned into a two-run double right exactly right? um so those are the two misses that i really saw in that game but tanner scott dots the corner doesn't get the call but he needs to throw a strike on the next pitch. Right. Especially when you're clinging to a 2 to a 2 run lead. That's the thing I think, you know, you're up 3
1: nothing, 2 nothing, you have that little of a lead, I'd rather Give a guy something to hit and see if he can hit it. Then walk him. I don't want to put a guy on base to wh- where you can keep. If you keep putting guys on base, it's going to be more and more damaging to you. I, you, you can't keep walking guys. You got to give him something to hit. If he hits it, fine. You know, and, and, and that's
0: it, probably why he's not in the closer's role. Exactly. That's right exactly. And then, why. and then Cesar Valdez comes in, cleans it all up. He get, he gets, um, allows the double to J.D. Martinez. But at that point, you still need another base runner, and there's already two outs. Uh, he gets out of the inning. With his fourth save and as many opportunities dating back to last year, says Everaldez with that dead fish change up to to close things out. We are coming to you live with the battle round from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. We have a great show for you today. Stan Charles at 10:20, we'll have him imminently. Uh, Ken Wyman from Inside Access on 105.7 The Fan at 10:50. Uh, the payoff pitch around the league at 11:10. That's back. We're going to do the out of town scoreboard, upcoming games, and then we're going to get into Orioles banter at 11:20. Paul Moncano from Mass and All Access at 1135 and we'll close the show with everybody's favorite take to rake before we get stand on the line zach what are you sounding off on today
1: yeah so atlanta was set to host the all-star game and the mlb draft this year this is the first time they're kind of combined um really exciting opportunity for atlanta they've got the new ballpark down there it's beautiful Well, it has been pulled out of Atlanta. That's one of the biggest baseball stories going on right now for political issues that we won't get into on the show. Um, But essentially, it got pulled out of there for voting rights suppression is is basically how uh, Rob Manford put it in his statement. So, I would like to make a pitch for the All-Star game in the draft to come to Baltimore and Camden Yards for the first time since 1993. Um, And I know Brandon Scott, the mayor of Baltimore, already put out a whole thing about it. They're going to try hard, I think. They're going to make this pitch. But I'm making my own pitch. So... Everyone knows Camden Yards is, is is probably in the top three, top two most beloved ballparks in the league. It's it's clearly a baseball cathedral. Everyone loves it. Why not give baseball fans what they want and bring another game back to Baltimore? It hasn't been since 1993. And that 1993 All-Star game and home run derby specifically with Kenny Griffey Jr. hitting the warehouse is one of the most legendary All-Star moments there is. Imagine some of these left-handed power bats that that are in the league right now, like Cody Bellinger and Juan Soto, and those guys who could absolutely mash in Camden Yards in the Home Run Derby or whatever it would be. This would be so much fun to bring to finally bring a All-Star Game back and give Baltimore kind of the recognition it deserves for that ballpark. And secondly, um, you know the MLB Draft is is kind of been. Very important for the Orioles. That that's kind of the thing there is is really anchoring the rebuild right now is the MLB draft. You're acquiring lots of young talent. The Orioles are kind of looked at as one of these teams that are really trying to get this young talent and, and draft as highly as possible. That's kind of what the MLB lo- or MLB, as I should say, looks at them as. Um, everyone everyone looks at the Orioles as a rebuilding team who is building through the draft. So why not bring the draft to Baltimore? Why not? Everyone's going to come to it. I, you're going to look at the All-Star Game. It's going to bring fans from Philadelphia, New York, Boston. It's going to bring fans from everywhere because Camden Yards is a baseball cathedral, and Baltimore is is one of the best spots for the draft right now because of the way the Orioles are drafting. So I think it's just, it just makes perfect sense, and I really think they should bring it to Baltimore. It, it has to happen. Well,
0: I'll tell you that. Uh, I'll tell you that when Camden Yards got the All-Star Game in 1993, I was actually at that All-Star Game. Uh, the American League won nine to three. I was eight years old, about to turn nine in a couple months, and I will tell you the two things that I remember from that game. One, Randy Johnson throwing the ball behind John Crutch's head. That uh, that happening, the the entire stadium went crazy. I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I remember when it happened and the, and the crowd going nuts. Then the other thing I remember is Mike Mussina getting up to to warm up in the bullpen, everybody cheering for him and Cito Gaston not bringing him into the game. I didn't know the the enormity of the situation at the time, but Mike Messina and I also didn't know that Mike Messina got up on his own. Nobody told him to get up. But those are my two memories from the 93 All-Star game. Baltimore deserves an All-Star game and I have to believe that they haven't had one since, because of the whole Massen issue, now Brandon Scott made his pitch to the city of, to, to Major League Baseball on Twitter yesterday. I retweeted it twice, actually, um, to try to get the All Star Game to Baltimore. The Orioles put out a statement in uh, supporting Major League Baseball and their decision to relocate the All Star Game. And I saw that there are five teams. I don't know or five cities. I don't know what the other four are, but Baltimore is on that list to get the All Star Game. There's a good chance that the Orioles that, that we could see the All-Star game in Baltimore. And if it is in Baltimore, it makes it that much more likely that Trey Mancini is playing in the Midsummer Classic because you're going to want to have a hometown favorite uh, in in that American League lineup, and I think it could be Trey Mancini. But I also think the Orioles are going to have a number of All-Stars this year. We have on the line with us right now... Oh. Stan the Fan Charles. Oh my God, that scared me. <laughs> my own voice scared me. Uh, we have on the line right now Stan the Fan Charles. Uh, and Stan, I want to get your take on... On the possibility of the All Star Game being moved from Atlanta to Baltimore.
2: Well, the you know the the bigger story, rather than whether Baltimore ends up getting the All Star Game, and I do agree that we we probably stand a fairly decent chance, you know, uh, because of the oddity surrounding uh, an All Star Game being moved for uh, for all, to me all the right reasons uh, that uh, you know. It, 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 Certain places have to realize uh, that their, their actions have consequences beyond uh, what they're attempting to do on a local level. And the uh, attempt to suppress votes in Georgia is really a significant uh, issue right now. And I think Major League Baseball, and I'm reading different columnists saying it's the exact wrong thing to do because they should stay there and really make it a spectacle about this and use it as a platform to go off and talk about how um, just terrible this whole uh, scourge of uh, right-wing political vote suppression is. Uh, But I think it's the right thing to do right now. And I think it, uh, uh, you know, people and places... And businesses have to realize there are consequences for their actions. And well, you can't just uh, cherry-pick certain people in our society and say that we're, we're going to suppress their vote. It's a significant uh, and really damning uh, statement that, that Major League Baseball is moving the All-Star game from there.
0: Well, and certainly there is... There's been political unrest in our country for a really long time. And when, when stuff like this happens, and it's stuff that it not on the surface, but when you read between the lines, that's really clearly targeting minorities. It, it yep. is, it, it's something where you can't stand for it, and you need to make a statement. You need to do something that says, hey, your actions have consequences, and if you do the wrong thing, we're not going to give you Something that you feel you deserve when you aren't doing the things to deserve those things. So, uh, yeah. it, it, it's it's good on Major League Baseball. There's not a lot of times that I support Rob Manfred. I support him in in this decision. Yeah, I mean,
2: look, I feel I feel bad for all the the decent people in the state of Georgia, oh, especially the city of Atlanta. And the city of Atlanta, in a large way, helped um, helped you know helps try and stem the tide of this kind of suppression, uh, with, with how these elections, both the presidential election and the two senatorial runoff votes, uh, ended up. So I feel bad for the good people of Atlanta. Uh, but, uh, this is, this is, this is something very serious, you know, all the more benefits from it in some small way. Um, that, you know, so be it. But, uh, the larger story here is is that Major League Baseball is making a big economic statement.
0: Uh, ab- absolutely, absolutely. And if Baltimore can benefit from it, that's something that we really would look forward to here. Uh, Baltimore deserves an all-star game. If they have to get it through these means, that's unfortunate for Atlanta. It's going to be a knock to their economy down there because that's, that's certainly a boom. For any city that hosts an All-Star game, but uh, actions have consequences, as we said. Now, people that we aren't feeling too bad for right now are the Orioles and their fans. Uh, they had a very impressive win over the Boston Red Sox yesterday, three to nothing. John Means, arguably the best start of his career, stands seven innings, one hit, five strikeouts, ninety-seven pitches, sixty-five strikes. What did you see from John Means on the hill for the Orioles yesterday that gives you hope moving forward?
2: Um. I saw somebody that was really in command of his his abilities to keep the Boston Red Sox hitters off stride.
3: <clears throat>
2: and let's face it, at the end of the day, that's what a that's what a change up artist uh does is keeps batters off balance that they don't quite know where it's coming from, when it's coming, uh, and it just throws them off stride and I thought he was masterful for seven innings yesterday and uh, to me, obviously, Ryan Mountcastle had the big blow, which I thought was uh, going to be a home run. It just missed, Uh, but I thought one of the stars of the game was Rio Ruiz uh, playing second base, and I talked to uh, manager Brandon Hyden, a post-game presser, and asked him, he talked about, he mentioned it in answering another question uh, that he thought about it about a week ago, and I said, I said, I just have to hit you up with this. Did you, did you, and Michael Elias discuss this when you picked up M- Mikel Franco? That you, you know, how did you come up with this idea? And he said, I brought. He said, I brought Rio Ruiz into the office and told him what I was thinking. And by his reaction, I knew I was going to try and do it. Um, and he sort of not warned us, but he just put us on notice. It's one game, but uh, the, the results were pretty stupendous yesterday. I thought he made three potentially game-saving plays.
1: Oh, absolutely. And yeah. Stan, I know Jim Palmer mentioned yesterday on the, uh, on the telecast that you know cold weather generally is better for pitchers and not as good for hitters. So do you think yeah. any of the cold weather factored into what John Means was able to do yesterday, or is he just really throwing them that much off balance?
2: Um, That that's a, that's a good question, Zach. I'm I'm not that sophisticated to know. It just seemed to me that they really weren't on anything. Uh, all the contact was pretty much soft contact. Um, so I, I really don't know, but I, I do agree with Palmer that, uh, hitting on a day that bitingly cold is is not a, is not a fun thing.
0: Uh, yeah, it, for all intents and purposes, it was arguably one of the coldest opening days the Orioles have ever played in. Uh, certainly made the most of it, though, getting that 3 nothing win. Um, another guy who I thought played really well yesterday, Stan, was Cedric Mullins. Uh, in that leadoff spot, had two hits. I thought he was doomed from the beginning with when Evaldi started the game off with a 99-mile-an-hour fastball on the inner corner. And I, yeah. I, I thought he had no chance. And the next thing you know, he has an infield hit as another hit in the eighth inning that sparked a rally the score, uh, a, a tack on run and give the Orioles a little bit more of a padded lead. What did you see from Cedric Mullins? And does this, uh, does this bode well for the Orioles moving forward to see him perform well out of the gate?
2: Well, you know, this is our, going to be our first extended look at seeing Cedric Mullins as a left-handed hitter only uh, and... Needless to say, with Evaldi on there, we didn't see anything we wouldn't have normally seen. But, you know, uh, it's always something when you have a, a switch hitter and the splits between their left-handed at-bats and their right-handed at-bats are so extreme, you almost wonder what the team and the player are thinking about. But, you know, for somebody that's done it for a significant portion of their life, it's hard it, it's sort of a brave thing to do, even if it's an obvious thing to do. And I applaud Mullins for sort of coming into spring training this year and laying the gauntlet down to himself that hey, I'm going to be a left-handed hitter, and I'm going to I'm going to do some stuff that's going to make me valuable to the team. And clearly, his defense and his speed really are valuable assets to the Baltimore Orioles.
0: Absolutely, and they were on full display yesterday with beating out that infield hit. Uh, didn't and even I really got to play. say,
2: at the same time, I like Austin Hayes much more as a corner outfielder. be it left or right, I think right is probably his best position. But uh, boy, I have Austin Hayes on my fantasy baseball team, and my hopes for a great start, you know, from his fantastic spring. We're sort of fightingly uh, cut into yesterday. Uh, it was very different than I was expecting from Austin Hayes yesterday.
0: Well, yeah, Stan, and let's talk about that for a little bit because Austin Hayes hit 391. He had seven or eight extra base hits in spring training, looked to be the best player on the team throughout the Grapefruit League schedule. And Then he mm-hmm. comes out yesterday and over for 4, three strikeouts. All three strikeouts, he chased pitches well out of the zone. Yep. Um, yep. And what I saw from Austin Hayes is kind of what I saw to start last year in that the moment may have been a little too big for him and that's not to say that he can't that he can't rise to the occasion I just think that he's out to prove that he belongs, and he's an everyday player, and he's he's a big time productive player, and he got a little ahead of himself in those games. I liked his approach. His third at bat took a couple of pitches, ended up flying out to right. Much better approach, but I seemed it seemed to me like he was a little over aggressive, and I saw the same thing to start the year last year. Are you seeing it a little bit of the same from Halston, from Austin? Hayes? Yeah,
2: cl- clearly. I mean, you know, Jim and Scott Garceau, Jim Palmer and Scott Garceau were talking about how he likes you know high fast. He's a good high fastball hitter. And then he really chased. I mean, there's a difference between a a good hitter's pitch, uh, you know, that's that's left up for you, and one that, that fools you completely. How fast it is, and how it's going to have some uptick to it. And I thought on the two, those two, two first two at bats, he looked totally overmatched.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. so speaking of Austin Hayes, um, you know he he was batting in the sixth hole yesterday, and that's probably not going to be where he is every day. Cedric Mullins was leading off. Is that kind of the combination you like to see, or would you like to see Austin Hayes in that leadoff spot? Where Where do you think those guys factor into the lineup every day?
2: I'm guessing that Mullins, you know, when he's going to play against a right handed starter, is going to is going to bat leadoff, and I. I guess the way this team is built right now, I guess Hayes makes about as much sense as anyone else in the leadoff slot, you know, unless you wanted to try and and put one of your big bats there that, that is more patient, like a Santander or a Mancini, you know, at, at the leadoff spot. But that's rarely done by managers. Those guys can be run producers, uh, not igniters. So, uh, you know, I guess... Mullins and Hayes will be the two guys that that lead off.
0: Well, and let's talk about that lineup a little bit. And Zach and I are going to talk about this in Orioles Banter later in the program. They just released the lineup today. And I don't know if Brandon Hyde has ever done this before.
4: It's the exact
0: same lineup as yesterday. Smart. The exact same lineup, same order, same positions as opening day. We've rarely, if ever, seen Brandon Hyde repeat a lineup back-to-back days. What are your thoughts on that, Stan?
2: Um, you know, somewhat significant that, uh, there's, there's less given, and, give and take with this lineup that it's starting to, although it's not the lineup that'll be on the field when the Orioles are really a good team again, it's significant that he's might be starting to feel comfortable that the talent level he's got, he doesn't have a lot of juggling to do with, you know, that these are his core players. That is interesting.
1: Yeah. Stan, I kind of figured we'd see Ramon Urias in at least one of these games, and probably Pat Valera in at least one of these games. Uh, now that you know, it looks like Rio Ruiz is that everyday second baseman, or at least most days second baseman. What what's the role for Ramon Urias because he's not a great defender at third or short? So is he just kind of that backup second baseman at this point, or where do you think the Orioles figure he's going to play?
2: Well, I, I pump the brakes on Rio Ruiz being the everyday second baseman. I, I mean, I think he. Uh, he wanted to try something yesterday, and it's still going to be incumbent upon Rio Ruiz to to hit and produce. Yeah. And although the player I'm going to mention is is somewhat injury prone, don't forget you got DJ Stewart uh, sitting in the wings, and I think right. DJ Stewart will be a much more productive member of the active roster than Ramon Urias. So I don't I don't think Urias is here for a long haul right now uh although i don't i haven't spoken to hyde about the uh you know the status of dj stewart but i was thinking dj stewart another 15 days or so might be ready
0: well they're actually expecting dj stewart to be back for the home opener uh next okay. thursday no, they were, I, They're expecting him back. i, April, I April.
2: sort of lost track of where he he was with his uh rehab and you know, and getting through this
0: injury. Well, towards the end of spring training, he was hitting on the backfields, and Brandon Hyde said that he was about 90%, but he wasn't going to push it, and he wasn't going to yep. put him back in the lineup until he was 100%. So they're looking at April 8th as his target date to return, and I'm telling you, Stan, I honestly believed that it was going to be Rio Ruiz to be the one to go when DJ Stewart returns. But if he's going to be playing second base, if Brandon Hyde likes him there, I think now we're looking at... You, you may be right. It may be uh, Urias, who's squeezed off this roster. Do you yeah, think I mean, he's remember, the one to go? The
2: Orioles, the, the Orioles don't have a lot of left-handed bats in the lineup, and, and a left-handed sort of bum BUM hitter is not what you want, but I'm not saying that Rio is a bum. I'm just saying it, it might be help more helpful to the team to mix and match with Rio rather than Ramon Urias at this point in time.
0: And they they seem to be pretty comfortable with Rio Ruiz. It seems like they, they put him in the middle of their lineup more often than not batting fifth each of the first two games of the season. That's a run-producing slot. I, I, they Maybe they're seeing something we haven't from uh, Rio Ruiz, but that remains to be seen, which should be the tagline of this show these days. Now, plenty of left-handers out in that Orioles bullpen stand. One of them is Tanner Scott. He came in and got the eighth inning yesterday with Cesar Valdez uh, closing things out for the Orioles. Are you reading anything into this, or is it just the way the the cookie crumbled uh, in yesterday's game? We could see it be very fluid with that Uh late-inning setup. I think
2: it's going to look. I, I think if if we have a one run lead today, I, I think you'd you'd see Valdez come into the game, uh, and I, I just don't know that they they want to commit to having one closer. And I expect that both of them will get some saves this year. And I even think the other guy that might still factor late late innings is Cole Sulcer. I could be totally wackadoodle on that, but you know he did sort of rise to the top last year, and it seems like that foot injury he had came came around just about when he got that opportunity, and it sort of short short circuited his chance to to grab that closer's job. I have a long memory about stuff like that, uh, so maybe I'm way off base. Uh, but I still think he factors in a little bit before Sean Armstrong.
0: Uh, and, and Sean Armstrong is going to be back on Monday. He's on paternity leave now. Um, who's going to go when, when Armstrong returns from paternity leave on Monday? Uh, How many
2: pitchers are they carrying now? They, they've they got they're, they're
0: 14. They're carrying 14 yeah. pitchers. and I think that's what they want to do. Are you looking at Max Corolla or do you? Or... No,
2: I I think they're going to look at. Uh, I think that that's the big surprise over the last three weeks of spring training, is that Scherola and and Wells locked down. I won't call them locked down spots. I think they locked down the club wanting to see them in major in real major league action. You know, for a month, uh, and I, I think they'll they'll have to attempt to to you know sort of circumvent. The rule five rules by keeping them around, they may get creative, and you may see a max scroller go on a DL like June first or something like that. I guess right now because he probably still has options. I think Dylan Tate might be the guy that you would lose. You would lose or not lose, but but put in the uh, alternate site right now.
0: You, you could be right there. He does still have options. Another name to keep an eye on is Paul Fry. who did not have a good spring, although I do think he had three scoreless outings in his final four appearances. Yeah,
2: he must have been working on something, I, I'm guessing. Because I, I think... that just is so out of so out of character for Paul Fry. Yeah,
1: I think just based on his past performances, he's been pretty solid for the Orioles over three years or so. So I, I'm not sure if Paul Fry's the guy, but I, I don't know. It's going to be tough for the Orioles to make this decision because there's not a lot of guys that you would want of option or would want a DFA on this roster right now. So it will be an interesting decision for sure. But for you know, me, real
2: I, quick, uh, and then I got, I got to run. I got to cut you guys a couple minutes short today. I apologize. No, no, no. We personal we understand stuff. Um, but uh, one of the things is, you know, those, those injuries, whether it's a Screola or, or a Wells, they can factor into this, too. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden one of them's got a little twinge in his elbow and they buy 15 days where they, they don't have to use him and can keep a Dylan Tate up. But I think the club's goal right now is to look at Wells and Screola and get a better handle on what they got and how important they
0: are to this team. They certainly seem to think that these are impact arms. I think Tyler Wells definitely is. Stan, real quick before we let you go, Matt Harvey, uh, he's the Orioles' number 2 starter. He's going today. Clearly they saw enough in him to give him that number 2 spot that he earned. Uh, Nothing was given uh, that he earned in this rotation. What are your expectations for this afternoon for Matt Harvey?
2: Uh, Look, you know, You know, the the athlete, I was talking to my editor at PressBox yesterday, Luke Jackson. I said, you know who who he reminds me of in his demeanor and the the talent that he had at one time? I think Matt Harvey is like baseball's Aaron Rodgers. You know, Mm -hmm. just a very kind of cocky, incredible talent. Uh, You know, I mean, we're talking about a sort of a generational type of pitcher that we'd be talking about if it wasn't for the injuries and he's, he's battling back from an injury that I don't know that anybody's had this threat thoracic outlet syndrome surgery, which is where they take a rib, you know, a portion of your rib that is causing some numbness in your arm and they remove it. Wow! I, I just can't imagine what that's like that you've pitched since you were in little league, you know, with your body skeletal structure framed a certain way and now you've got a you've got a it it helps the arm somehow and helps you from having issues but you've got to almost relearn how to how to pitch at this level i i just it's it's an incredible story and uh just if he could be a you know a sort of solid 4.4 era guy that could give you five and a half six innings um it would be a remarkable comeback story because I don't know. I, I know probably if you put a gun to my head, there's probably six or seven guys I know that have had this surgery and not one of them made it. You know
0: so. well the, and the thing about Matt Harvey is he's still touching 95 on the radar gun yeah and if, if yep. and if, if you have pitch ability you can clearly John means was sitting 90 to 93 yesterday and he was dominant so you don't need yep. to throw a hundred like he used to at uh, to, to be effective you need that pitch ability hopefully he's found it um you know and so, he, so and that... he
2: might just have landed with the right organization at the right time with Chris Holt and some of the, the you know the stuff that they're Preaching, and maybe, maybe it'll just turn out to be kind of a perfect fit. I hope so. It would sure be a neat story for the and, Orioles. And,
0: and I'll tell you what, if he, if he gives the Orioles three runs in five or six innings every time out, they'll take that every fifth day.
2: I they agree. certainly would. Guys, I'll talk to you next Saturday. Thank you very much. All right.
0: Stan, you're out next Saturday, aren't you?
2: Uh, that's right. I am out. Next so, Saturday. we'll, well I have a bar mitzvah. Have, so I'll see you on the 17th, I think it is. Yes, right? sir.
0: We'll see you in two weeks. Thank Have, you. have a great weekend. Appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. That was... That was Stan the Fan Charles uh, joining us for his 10:20 segment as always. Stan has some personal stuff that he has to tend to today, so uh, he had to cut a little bit short with us. But if you're missing your Stan the Chan- the Stan the Fan Charles fix, he has two great shows for you every week. And like everything else in the world, they're happening over Zoom. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with ESPN's Tim Kirkjian, and Stan and Gary chatted with Towson coach. Pat Scary about the Final Four and his former player, Justin Gorham, who is now with, the Houston, with Houston. Both of those shows can be found under the Videos tab at Facebook.com slash Sports or at PressBoxOnline.com. This Monday, you won't want to miss it when Stan and Ross catch up with new Orioles Hall of Fame inductee, Mike Devereaux. Stan's weekly shows are brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Find them at C3America.com. Call C3 American Exteriors to get roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home and insurance deductible don't let the insurance industry get one over on you call c3 at 410-401-9797 that's 410-401-9797 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis we got to catch a break when we get back from 1057 the fans inside access the one and only ken Weinman.
5: The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today.
4: Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son...
2: We're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know.
4: Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. (laughs) Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real
5: fast, Royal Farms. At Glory Days Grill, they have great food and good sports. Glory Days Grill is a sports-themed family restaurant with 39 restaurants up and down the East Coast. Watch all of the games on a ton of TVs, and each table has its own wireless speaker so you can tune in to whatever game it is you're watching. Find out more about what's happening at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill right now by going to
4: glorydaysgrill.com. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker, Patrick Queen. Appreciate it, sir.
5: Trey Mancini. Thanks
3: for having me on, guys. Glad to be back. on. He
5: is Kevin Zeitler. Uh,
6: thank you. Very
5: happy to be a part of this. Ravens kicker, Justin Tucker.
3: Thanks for having me. Adley Rutchman. Absolutely.
5: Thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot. Good to be with you. Heston Kirstad Thanks for having me. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Quarterback for the University of Maryland, Talia Tungavaloa. Thank you guys for having me. He he is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dickie V,
4: Dick Vitale. Glenn and Kyle, two type dandy. He is Mr. Kyle Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch facebook.com slash pressboxsports and listen to pressboxonline.com slash radio.
5: For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K and S at knsimports.com.
4: The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, a lengthy and QA with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college lacrosse feature introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of the area schools. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at Pressbox. Online.com. Hey Ken, how's it going? We're on the
0: air. AI. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bat Around. We're getting Ken Wyman on the program here momentarily. Uh Ken is the co host of Inside Access along with Jason Lockham 4 on 1057 The Fan. And I believe we have Ken now. Do we don't we, Zach? All hey, right, Ken, hey, how you doing today, man? Good, how are you? We're doing well. Thanks for joining the program today. And let's just jump right into this. John Means went out yesterday and put up arguably the best performance of his career. What are your thoughts on John Means' dominance, and what does he t- tell you about the, the Orioles' season as far as Means is concerned?
6: Well, I, he had a rough year last year, but he went through so much. His father's illness and then passing away and some minor injury issues. And, and so last year was kind of a lost year for him. Uh, he finished strong. I, I think if it was later in the season, he, he may have been allowed to go a little later into the game, though that's not su- super important right now. I, I just I was really impressed with him yesterday. I don't know what, I, what it, it gleans for me as far as the season, but I think it's a good sign that we're going to see more of the John Means we saw in 2019 than the one we saw last year.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, certainly his last four starts last year and the first start this year bode well for his confidence and for the Orioles moving forward and hopefully can get back to that all-star form. I think adding those secondary pitches will certainly help him. Um, but speaking of the pitching, when he came out of the game, the first arm that we saw come into the game, Ken, was Tanner Scott, followed by Cesar Valdez, who had the closing duties yesterday. Is this something that you continue that you think will continue to see, or do you really believe Brandon High when he says this is a fluid situation for that bullpen?
6: Well, I think Valdez will get a lot of these save situations um, or the majority. But the problem is he's probably there. I would think Brandon Hyde is most confident in Valdez in high leverage situations. And that could come in the seventh inning. That could come in the sixth inning. And he's got such a rubber arm. You could go. He comes in and after a starter goes five and two-thirds, and he goes three innings to get you later in the game. And so then somebody else would hypothetically be the closer. Uh, maybe then we talked about this on our show, uh, you know, on Thursday, maybe this team doesn't need a closer, maybe Valdez leads the team with like 14 saves and maybe Tanner Scott gets them. I will say this, Tanner Scott was playing with fire a little bit yesterday, uh, you know, walking a couple of guys and you could say, well, he got squeezed a little bit. He's He's got to, he's got to throw more strikes and. Uh, he was able to get out of it, and that's good, but you start walking multiple guys in an inning, you're, you're asking for trouble, but I do think, to answer your question, I think that Valdez is the guy that Hyde feels most confident in right now, but that could be at any point in the game whenever he feels like they need him in a high leverage situation.
1: Ken, we're going to see uh, Sean Armstrong come off the paternity list pretty soon here, and he's going to have to take a spot of someone else. But I've been kind of making my pitch for Sean Armstrong as the new closer because he is kind of experienced in that role a little bit, and he has a little bit of better control and stuff and some of the guys in the bullpen. What do you think about Sean Armstrong as a closer, and and can he fill that role?
6: I think he'll get opportunities. Uh, again, I, I don't know that this team will have a quote unquote closer. Uh though, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about this the other day. Bad oriole teams. Don Oste was a closer on a bad Oriole team. Tom Neidenfeer was a closer on a bad oriole team. Uh BJ Ryan, Jorge Julio, the list goes on and on. They have had closures on bad teams. But this team is so analytically driven. I I don't know that it's going to have a, guy, but I could see it, to answer the question. I could see Armstrong in save situations, and it gives it gives Hyde another arm that he trusts late in games. Uh, I, I feel like it's it's Armstrong, it's Scott, it's Valdez. Uh, I've almost basically uh, closed the book on Hunter Harvey. He was drafted in 2013. That's eight years ago. Yeah. That, that's a long damn time ago, and and you just can't. You can't ever count on him. And so, like, if he comes back in a month or, or two months or whatever, do I immediately throw him into high-leverage situations? No, because I can't trust him. So, yeah, those are probably the three guys.
0: Well, yeah, you can't even trust Hunter Harvey to pitch on back-to-back days. He's only done it once in his career at the big league level, and that was the last two games of 2020 in a truncated season. So I think that, like, I I agree, Ken. I think the book is closing if it's not already slammed shut on Hunter Harvey. Um, Look, the the Orioles' bullpen was a top-ten unit in all of Major League Baseball last year, returning a lot of the same guys. Who is the odd man out of that bullpen once Sean, uh, Sean Armstrong returns on Monday?
6: Yeah, that's a really good question because uh, I also think that, you know, that I think the Orioles interest in Rugnett R- Odor is, is real. And unless he got signed by somebody while I was running errands this morning, he's still out there. And, the, you know, that then somebody else has to go. So uh, I don't think they're going to get rid of either of the Rule 5 guys because it doesn't make sense to me that they'd keep Sioler and, and Wells and then cut them a few days into the season. But, yeah, that that and Dylan Tate's here. Uh, that that does make for a, a really tough decision. Um, uh, I I guess I don't I don't envy being Brandon Hyde right now because it's, it's somebody's got to go that they like that they liked enough to bring North with them uh, from Sarasota.
0: Now, Ken. Yesterday, John Means did everything he could to make himself the topic of conversation, but it was never going to be him. The the story yesterday and st- the story for much of this season was and is going to be Trey Mancini. What was it like to see him back on the field? And do you think that there's a weight lifted now that opening day is behind him?
6: I think it was really cool. I thought you know the the, the limited fans in Boston gave him a nice ovation. I thought it was cool when he got to first base and, and he got a hug from the Red Sox. Uh, was it Bobby Dahlbach? Uh Like a lot of stuff. Was really cool. The respect they showed Trey Mancini. And then it was nice to see him get a knock yesterday as well. And you, you heard him after the game, like when I first got cancer, I didn't know if I'd ever play again. I, I think, you know, he said all spring that he felt 100%. And I think watching him yesterday, that proves that he looked like Trey Mancini from two years ago. And quite frankly, I like seeing him at first base as well. So. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool. He's going to be a big story for this team all year. Uh, he was arguably their best player two years ago, though the team I think around him in the lineup is, is better. Than, I, I think it's sneaky. This lineup might be sneaky good, but, yeah, uh, yeah Trey Mancini is a really cool story, and he's it, from all accounts he's a really good guy. So he, he, I think everybody's rooting for him.
1: Ken, you mentioned Rugnet Odor, and I know the Inside Access uh, Twitter account has been talking about that a little bit. So Rugnet's owed a lot of money this year. It doesn't seem like a waiver claim would be the best option there. But would something like him being released or maybe a small trade kind of work out those financials for the Orioles? and bring Is bringing Rugnet Odor in a real thing at this point?
6: Well, my understanding is he cleared waivers. So, so, okay. he, so the, the Rangers owe him all that money. So now it's about getting him in probably on a minimum deal. And you know the way the Orioles work, they give all these guys kickers if the trade kickers in their deal and he knows he'd play every day and I'm sure he'd like to take his swings at Camden Yards and it gives them and, and Real Ruiz did a fine job at second base yesterday. I was impressed, but Real Ruiz is is not a second baseman. Uh I'm I, I don't know that I, that this team carries Franco and Ruiz the whole season together. So, uh, yeah, I think Ruiz uh, did well yesterday, but I think Odor would be realistic. He's an everyday second baseman. Yeah, the batting average isn't great, uh, but I think he'd be motivated, and, and playing on a team like this uh, would would give a good opportunity to him.
0: Well, and certainly, and, and to, to Zach's uh, question about the finances, any team that signs uh, Ruth Neto-Door would have to pay him a prorated portion of the veteran minimum, so it's not yeah. really a huge financial commitment. Yeah. Um, the thing about Ruth Neto-Door, he might be, he would probably be coming in playing with a chip on his shoulder, he's still just 27 years old, has hit 30 homers a couple of times in, in his career, uh, but the batting average sub-200 two of the last three years, uh, I think he would definitely be playing with a chip on his shoulder, but... If you had asked me who would be the first guy to go when D.J. Stewart comes back, I would have said Rio Ruiz. But the yeah. Orioles have the same starting lineup today and with the same players in the same positions as they did yesterday, something we've really never seen Brandon Hyde do before. Ken, do you think that that speaks to his confidence in Rio Ruiz at second base and to his preference of putting him in there more often than not?
6: I I think it's too soon to tell, but I think he was happy with what he saw yesterday. So he's running it out there again. And then the rest of the lineup, You know, you guys remember last year, even as a shortened season, it was kind of a hodgepodge and guys being moved around. And I think that they're very happy with both Mullins and, and and Hayes. I think I said on the show this week. I think Austin Hayes is going to win Most Valuable Oriole. I expect him to have a monster season. All he needed to be was healthy, and he's finally healthy. And I think he's confident. And yeah, he didn't have a great game yesterday, but it's baseball's a you have bad days. It's a failure sport. You you you, you get out more often than you get hits. Uh, so I still think Austin Hayes is going to have a big year, and I like Mullins at the top of the lineup. And I think when he gets on base, he's going to run a lot. And of course, uh, Mount Castle has proven he belongs. He just missed a home run yesterday, a grand slam. Uh, I, I do like the lineup. I, I, I find it a little amusing that the left side of the infield is the 2016 Phillies left side of their infield, but uh, yeah. th- that I'm fine with that. Uh, and 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 the reality there is that those guys play well; they they're probably going to get dealt at the deadline.
0: Yeah, certainly not going to be the same roster in August that we see today. Um, now you mentioned Austin Hayes. You think he's going to be the most valuable Oriole, but you also mentioned he had a tough game yesterday—three strikeouts and four bats. In all three strikeouts, he chased pitches well out of the zone. Do you think that was just a matter of having a bad game, or you think he was a little overamped and trying to do too much?
6: I think it's a combination, and and again, I, and something that we bring up on our show all the time. So, if you baseball the one sport where. You fail more than you succeed, but if you do it at a certain level, you're a Hall of Famer. If you get out, if you get hit three out of every ten times you come to bat your whole career, you finish with a 300 batting average, you go to the Hall of Fame. If, you, yeah. if you're 30% as a quarterback or 30% as a shooter in the NBA, you're, you're probably going to be out of a job. But baseball, uh, it's a failure sport. You're going to have bad days. I think he was amped up. I definitely think he was amped up to be he, – he knows his body. You're hearing him talk this week before the game. He's finally healthy and, and mentally sound in a good place. And I think he was all fired up, and, and maybe there, there was a little of that going on there. But I think Austin Hayes is going to be just fine. But, you know, you're going to go through slumps. There are going to be periods of time where the, the ball is going to look like a, a a grapefruit. and You're going to have a great stretches uh, when you're swinging the bat. But I think Austin Hayes will be just fine.
0: Ken, somebody who I think is going to be just fine for a long time is Ryan Mountcastle. and You just mentioned that sometimes the ball looks like a grapefruit. It seems like the ball always looks like a grapefruit yeah. to Ryan Mountcastle. I feel <laughs> like this is a guy who is a special bat, who could reach the upper echelons as uh, of hitters. Just watching him play, you see something special in this guy. 24 years old, he has 35 Major League games under his belt, and he's batting fourth on opening day against the Boston Red Sox in the American League East. Is Ryan Mountcastle the real deal?
6: Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear. And, and one of the interesting things, and 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 if you listen to Michael Elias, he's pretty, he, he's pretty transparent when he talks about certain things and one of them is he said last year we want to bring the guys up and we're talking about the real guys not the guys you expect to go up and down but the prospects he says we want to bring them up when we we're confident they're going to be up to stay and if you remember last year earlier in the season we were complaining where's ryan Mountcastle? where's ryan Mountcastle? and i think they wanted to be sure that both offensively and and defensively he was ready to play in the major leagues And, and what fascinated me last year it seems quite frankly better in left field than Dwight Smith, and Dwight Smith spent his whole life as an outfielder. So they brought him up when he's ready. The the moment's not too big for him. I think Ryan Mountcastle is the real deal, and it's just another exciting piece when we start talking about what this team's going to look like on the other side. Ryan Mountcastle, I expect to be part of
0: things. Now he's twenty four years old. He's DHing yesterday and today. Is this just a matter of they're not comfortable with Mountcastle playing left field and Fenway just yet, or is it just the way the matchups have worked? Well,
6: I think it's that their best defensive outfield is Santander, Hayes, and, and Mullins. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's with no disrespect to Ryan Mountcastle. His glove's just not as good as the as uh, the other guys. So, I think Austin Hayes is a gold-glove caliber outfielder. Cedric Mullins goes and basically gets everything. Anthony Santander was a gold-glove finalist last year, so it's about putting the best defensive outfield out there. I think Mountcastle will play some left field, but as long as everybody's healthy, I think Hyde wants to put the best defensive outfield out there, and that's those three guys.
0: Yeah, it would certainly make sense to have your bet especially with such a young and inexperienced pitching staff. I think that I saw that the Orioles have the youngest starting rotation in Major League Baseball right now. Um, with that young pitching staff, you want to have the best defense possible uh, behind you, which made the, the DFA of Yomar Sanchez all that much more surprising to me. Was that something that you were shocked to see? I, I think we all expected Sanchez to be starting a second base on opening day for the Orioles.
6: It was surprising, but my understanding was that he didn't he wasn't as impressive as they thought he'd be watching him play second base and then obviously they you know, we got we got what two games on Masson and another couple games on M L B network, so we didn't get to see a lot. But they they were not impressed with what they saw and it wasn't worth uh bring him up north, so they, they, they released him. Uh, they, when they did it, yes, it was surprising, because I assumed he'd be the opening day second baseman, but they they did not see enough there to think he was worthy, and obviously uh, they, they made the decision to let him go, and right now you've got Rio Ruiz at second base. I would think Yomar Sanchez is better at second base than Rio Ruiz, but it, I don't know that Ruiz is a permanent fixture at second base.
1: So you mentioned on your Twitter account again that Reese McGuire could be a possible pickup for the Orioles as he's a catcher who's a little bit of a better defender than a guy like Chance Sisko. Chance Sisko has some options. And and you said there's kind of some real interest there about like maybe a waiver claim, maybe a small trade, something along those lines since he was DFA'd. Is that still happening? Is, is Reese McGuire still an option for the Orioles?
6: My understanding is they're interested. Uh, now, uh, the issue, Chance Cisco. He, he just, he's not good defensively, right? It, uh, I, he, he doesn't throw well. He doesn't, he's not a great catcher and his bat isn't, hasn't been what we thought it would be. Now, remember Elias didn't draft Chancesco. He's not his guy. And as you said, he has options. If I were the Orioles, I'd want him down a triple A catcher every day. Uh, they, if you, if you're going to have a backup catcher, you want your backup catcher to be strong defensively. That, that, that's like, First and foremost, the backup catcher should be strong defensively, and Chancisco doesn't offer that. So I, I do think the Orioles are looking for a way to improve the, the backup catcher position. And Reese McGuire does he does make sense. So I think if they can work something out, and you know, the Orioles are always scouring the waiver wire, and they have sure they have a, they have a high position on said uh, wire for now, and we expect as the season goes on, they'll probably maintain a high position. But. Um, yeah, I think they are interested, and I think Chancisco will probably find himself uh, at, at Norfolk, or at least at the alternate camp in, in short time.
0: Well, and again, with the young pitching staff, and you want to be defensive-minded, having your everyday catcher and your backup catcher not be defensive stalwarts are is a problem for a rebuilding ball club. And I personally, once Adley Rutschman gets here, Pedro Severino is going to find a starting job somewhere in Major right. League Baseball. And I, I don't think that you're going to see Chance Cisco or Pedro Severino on this roster uh, no. once this rebuild comes to fruition. I just think they're both too poor defensively and Cisco hasn't shown enough at the plate at the major league level to warrant sticking around. I think Reese McGuire could be a great option. Now, uh, Ken, before we let you go, sure. we, we always see overreactions after opening day. Oh, the Orioles <laughs> are making the playoffs. They're going 162-0. Those aren't realistic overreactions, but I have a, this might be a little difficult, So, uh, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Can you give us an, a legitimate overreaction underreaction, and a spot-on reaction from opening day? Overreaction?
6: John Means is going to win the Cy Young. <laughs>
0: okay. uh, uh, on- I love it. Austin, uh, Austin
6: Hayes is a bust. <laughs> and uh, a, 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 What's the third
0: option? A spot-on reaction.
6: Spot-on reaction. It was a very good day to be the Orioles, in the, and in, in, in recent memory, they're very good on opening day, and they continued that trend. Uh, uh, it, it's one out of 162. They're all worth the same. And there's a hell of a long way to go. And, and we don't know what this, with this pitching staff, like this rotation, they've got these five guys. I, I don't think it's going to stay these, these five guys for the whole year. And let's get through this a couple of times before we're starting to plan a parade. Uh,
0: absolutely. And speaking of which, Matt Harvey's making his Orioles debut this afternoon. Do you have any expectations whatsoever for this guy?
6: Uh, I think the, the one thing we had Harvey on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he's incredibly candid. Um, I think he realizes he's not the guy he used to be, which I don't think he was willing to admit even a year ago. Now that said, uh, part of what made him great was the guy he used to be that could throw 100 miles an hour. Now, unlike Felix Hernandez, he can still get the ball up to 95, and, and I think the analytics are helping him. I'm just hopeful he can go out there and give him a four or five ERA and win some games, and they can trade him at the deadline to a contender. That that's. Yeah, that that's my realistic hope. I hope he doesn't go out there and throw seventy pitches in two and a third today. And the Orioles are down five nothing, and and you're looking for something else to
0: watch. Well, yeah, and that's that's what I said to Stan. Is the best that the Orioles can hope for is if he gives you five innings of three run ball every time out. I think that they take that five days uh, every five, fifth day. Um, yeah, innings. Um, now, Stan, uh, sorry. Ken, we had Stan. Ken, thank you so much for joining the program. It's always a treat when we get to talk Orioles baseball with you. Before I do let you go, we've had Jason for on the show before. I've been listening to Inside Access since day one. Please tell Jason that I said body wash.
6: <laughs> I will do that. it he will not He will not put it on the board because you have to be on the show to, to get it on the board, so we might have to work that out. Uh,
0: well, you have my number, man. I'm just saying. All right, All man. Right, we'll, man. We'll, we'll talk to you soon, man. Have a great weekend.
6: Hey,
1: take care. See you.
0: That was Ken Wyman from Inside Access on 105.7 The Fan joining us in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Uh, Keep in mind, every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at facebook.com slash Sports. Listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys called up with new Orioles Hall of Fame inductees J.J. Hardy and Mike Devereaux as well as the great Buck Walter and more, man, I want to get Buck on this show. I, I do too. That I, would I, be
1: a, that'd be a dream to get Buck I on the show I want to get him
0: on this show so bad. Uh, anyway, find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at pressboxonline.com. We are going to get our second break when we come back. The payoff pitch around the league and Orioles banter.
5: At Glory Days Grill, they have great food and
0: good sports. Glory Days Grill is a
5: sports-themed family restaurant with 39 restaurants up and down the East Coast. Watch all of the games on a ton of TVs, and each table has its own wireless speaker so you can tune in to whatever game it is you're watching. Find out more about what's happening at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill right now by going to glorydaysgrill.com.
4: For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What
2: do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farm sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know.
4: Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out.
5: Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Oh, thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. <laughs>
4: All right.
0: All right. Welcome back to the bat around here from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. It is now time for the payoff pitch around the league. Uh, Gary Sanchez homered and drove in two, but Randall Gritchik tormented another team for a change as he drove in the game-winning run with a 10th-inning double to spoil Garrett Cole's first start Thursday in front of a Yankees in front of Yankees fans as the Blue Jays took down the American League East favorite Yankees three to two. Also on Thursday, sorry about that. What are you pointing at? Also on Thursday, uh, Miguel Cabrera hit his 488th career home run through a first inning snowfall, and Matthew Boyd outdueled reigning Cy Young winner Shane Bieber to help the Orioles to a 3 2 opening day win over Cleveland. The Twins jumped out to a 5-2 lead on Thursday, but Travis Shaw drove in two of his three RBIs in a three-run bottom of the ninth, and Lorenzo Cain scored the game winner on a fielder's choice to second in the tenth, beating the tag at the plate with a head-first slide to lead the Brewers to a comeback, 6-5 win over the Twins. Uh, Ro- Rookie of the Year favorite Cabrian Hayes homered on opening day, and the Pittsburgh bullpen allowed one run on one hit with 11 Ks and six innings to hold down the Cubs 5-3. The $115 million man, JT Realmuto, had two hits and drove in a run while Gene Segura provided the theatrics with a walk-off single in the 10th to deliver a 3-2 win for the Phillies over division rival Atlanta. Also Thursday, Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt combined for six hits, four runs, and two RBIs, and the Cardinals scored six first-inning runs en route to an 11-6 win over the Reds. Mahomes threw two touchdown passes. Wait, this is baseball. Kansas City and Texas each scored five first-inning runs, but the Royals out-homered the Rangers 3-0 and won a slugfest on Thursday 14-10. The Mets' National Series has been postponed due to a COVID outbreak within the Nationals' organization. From Friday, trailing 4-2 with one out in the ninth, shortstop Joey Wendell hit a go-ahead three-run homer off Marlins' closer Anthony Bass. The Rays would add another run on a triple and a sack fly to defeat the Marlins and send Miami to 0-2. Trevor Bauer took a no-hitter into the seventh in his Dodgers debut while Justin Turner had three hits and three RBIs to lead L.A. over the Rockies 11-6 in that game. No-hitter into the seventh, and then the next thing you know, Bauer gives up two home runs, four runs. David Price comes in, gives up another two home runs, and the next thing you know, it's 10-6, but the Dodgers held on to win 11-6. For the second straight night, Buster Posey and Evan Longoria found the fountain of youth as each homered for the second time this season, and this time it was enough to lead the Giants to a 6-3 victory over the Mariners the night after wasting a gem by Kevin Gossman. Winning AL MVP, Jose Abreu hit a third-inning Grand Slam, and 28-year-old former Oriole rookie Yermin Mercedes went 5-for-5 five five with four RBIs in his first career start with the White Sox to lead Chicago to a 12-6 victory over the Angels. Albert Pujols hit a 663rd home run in the loss for the Angels. Sidebar, Yohan Moncada went 0-for-5 five with five strikeouts in the game. The Astros' 1-4 hitters combined for nine hits, seven runs, and six RBIs, including three doubles from Michael Brantley as Houston defeated Oakland 9-5. Eric Hosmer followed up his three-hit, three RBI opening day performance with a wait for it three-hit, three RBI performance to help the lead to help lead the Padres over the D-backs four to two, and now Zach's going to preview the matchups around Major League Baseball. Yeah, on the other side of
1: the microphone this time, unfortunately, but at 1 p.m. the young Blue Jays will face off against the veteran-stacked Yankees. The Dark Knight-led Orioles face off against the Red Sox after a delayed start to both of their seasons. The Indians will battle the rebuilding Tigers in an AL Central battle. At 2 p.m., two rebuilding teams face off as Texas and the sneaky good this year, maybe, Kansas City Royals go to battle. The rebuilding Pirates face off against Chris Bryant and the Chicago Cubs. At 4 p.m., two teams battling for the NLE's crown. The Phillies and the Braves face off. Next, the Astros go head-to-head with a division rival in Oakland. Paul Goldschmidt and the Cardinals battle... Uh, Joey Votto and the Reds at 6pm two young pitching rich teams face off with the Marlins and the Rays 7pm another interleague matchup as the Brewers and the Twins go head to head At 8 p.m., the Dodgers, with their massive power, get the tee-off in Coors against the Rockies. At 8.40, the Electric Padres and Fernando Tatis go up against the D-backs. At 9 o'clock, the superstar-filled White Sox face off against Mike Trout and the Angels. And finally, at the very last game of the night, the Giants will battle the Mariners after their thrilling
0: finish on opening day on Thursday. If you bear with us for just a moment, Zach and I are going to switch seats again real quick. Sorry for the delay there, folks. And now for our Orioles banter segment. If I can get my computer here. Can you turn me up? Just Never mind. We're good. We're good. We're good. Uh, Orioles banter segment. Sorry for the... For the upheaval here right now, Zach had to use the the the, the restroom. It,
1: it's an inconvenient time, but it, it's gonna work out all right. I
0: yeah, it's it, it, it's all
1: right. Maybe maybe a little it, more. Ho- it, I'm gonna blame it on the building. It's too far away. So
0: uh you, you, I, I, you were <laughs> taking a nice leisurely stroll. I'm watching you. I'm like I know. I, 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 uh, I'm like he's not going fast enough. That, ho- li- that
1: probably the problem. But a in the step. I'm gonna blame it on the building design. I think. Uh, or, I, or maybe
0: you just drank too much water today. Too that, much that too be, much chalky milk. That may be the case. Maybe the case. Uh, so look, the Orioles are going off against uh, Tanner Houck today. He's a 2017 first round pick, 24th overall out of the University of Missouri. Uh, he started three games for Boston last year, going 3-0 with a .53 ERA, allowing just one earned run in 17 innings with 21 Ks. Though he did walk nine guys in his three starts last year. Uh, on the other th- end of things, Matt Harvey, the Dark Knight, hopefully the Dark Knight Rises. I can't wait to call him that if he actually is the Dark Knight today. I, I-, I am just beating this the Dark Knight Rises thing into the ground I love because it too. I want it so b- – it yeah, fits. It fits so perfectly I if know. he comes back and sh- proves to be a semblance Of what he used to be. He's facing off against the Red Sox. Only three Red Sox hitters have ever faced him. Franchi Cordero, Marvin Gonzalez, and Hunter Renfro. They've had a modicum of success. Four for 11 with one home run and three RBIs. Uh Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Franchi Cordero is in that lineup for the the Red Sox today. Uh, Then on Sunday, you have Bruce Zimmerman taking on former standout Garrett Richards in his Red Sox debut. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman... Came in, a, the, the the local product went to Loyola uh, for high school. Um, he came in against Boston Relief on September 23rd through four innings, allowing run, one run on two hits with a walk and five strikeouts. On the other end of things, Garrett Richards, he's a former up-and-coming star yeah. with the Angels, winning 28 games and 58 starts with a 318 ERA from 2014 to 2015 uh, before injuries really derail his career. Came back last year. Pitched okay. Had, had about a, a four and a quarter ERA pitching for the Padres last year. He's a big acquisition for the Red Sox this year uh, to join a rotation that was just god awful last year. I think the Red Sox are going to be a little bit better this year. Uh, once again, Eduardo Rodriguez back from the arm fatigue. Chris Sale will be back at some point. They have Garrett Richards. They have Nathan Navaldi. Their bullpen is much improved, I think. Um, I expect the Red Sox to be a little bit better than people probably do. Yeah, I, I think
1: that would that would be
0: my guess too. I mean, I, I think they're probably.
1: Uh, 78-79 win team at best. I I don't know if they will get to 80. Um, You know, the problem is that starting rotation, you mentioned Chris Sale, um, Eduardo Rodriguez, and those are both good arms, but coming off of injuries you just don't really know how guys are going to fit right back in and if they're going to be impact players right off the bat, especially with a guy like Chris Sale. It's been forever since Chris Sale's been on the mound, so I don't know what they can expect out of those guys. I don't know what to expect as an Orioles fan, you know, facing those guys eventually, but I don't really think the Red Sox are that good of a team, but they are they have some decent young pieces. You know, they they've got like a guy like Renfro, they've got Bobby Dahlbeck, they've got some, you know, a lot of power in that lineup and I'm not going as far to say as the Red Sox are building anything here because the farm system isn't great. But I I think they're still going to kind of tread water in the American League East and put up you know 79, maybe 80 wins at best. Um, And and the problem for them, really, is that they're facing the great Blue Jays and the great Yankees and and, and the Rays, of course, who are really pitching rich. So it's just kind of a tough division, even if this isn't the worst team of all time. I have a
0: little bit higher hopes for the Red Sox. Not hopes. Right. I don't have high hopes. High thoughts of them, I guess. I have higher thoughts yeah. on, on the Red Sox. Um, look, I think that lineup is going to be really good. I think you're going to see a bounce-back season from J.D. Martinez. Look, J.D. Martinez's track record suggests that look, 60 games is a really small sample size. You can Anybody can hit 200 over 60 games, and then over the next 102 games, they can hit 315 and be back up to a 280 hitter. I, I, right. I look at J.D. Martinez. His bat's too good. Xander Bogart's bat is too good. Rafael Devers' bat is too good. Alex Verdugo's bat is too good. Kike Hernandez isn't an everyday player on any team. He's right. he's he's a super utility guy. This is a guy who can probably play three days a week at a multitude of positions. And a good playoffs guy. But they they have him batting leadoff and playing second yeah. base every day for them. I think that that's an, that's an issue. But Bobby Dahlbeck, is, he hit eight home runs in about 80 at bats last year, seven yeah. home runs this spring. He's an all-or-nothing guy for them. Almost hit one out last year. Um. Last year, last night um, I think the Red Sox are going to be a lot better I don't have as high of hopes For the Toronto Blue Jays this year uh, Everybody wants to look at that Blue Jays team And say, oh my god, their lineup can hit with anybody Yeah, so could the early 2000s Texas Rangers And they didn't do yeah. diddly squat Because you can have as much offensive firepower as you want If you can't pitch, you can't win
1: yeah, I, I don't really think they invested in the pitching they, they should have. You know, last year they, at the trade deadline, they went out and got Taiwan Walker, who's obviously a really good starter. He pitched very well for them. He got a big deal with the Mets, so they lost some guys, and I'm not sure they added enough. You know, Nate Pearson's kind of knocking on the door for them as a top prospect, but he came up last year, was generally ineffective, wasn't, you know, probably wasn't ready at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you've got Ryu at the top, who they've, they've got 80 something million invested into. And then below that, it's kind of not great. There's no one really that stands out to me that is going to go out there and be able to pitch for them every five days that I I would be scared of as, as an opposing team, except Ryu, as I mentioned. So... While I think they're building something great, I don't know if they can contend with the Yankees, and and like I said as we made our predictions last show, the Yankees look like an 100-win team to me at best, You know, probably 95-96 wins, and the Blue Jays probably come in as 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 a wild card at maybe 89-90 wins, um, and just because of that lineup, you've got guys like George Springer, Bo Bichette, you expect Vlad Guerrero to take a step forward at some point, Kevin Biggio they really like. It's a talented team. Teoscar Hernandez, it really is a talented team. But the pitching, I agree with you, is, is a little bit... It falls a little bit short. Um, but they do have a nicer bullpen now. You know, Jordan Romano is a solid option back there. So um, they're, they're building something for sure.
0: Well, yeah, they, they, have, they have a solid back end of the bullpen, but they bring in Kirby. I don't know how we got into talking about the Blue Jays <laughs> on an Orioles show, J- J- show when they're playing the Red Sox, but we're going to keep talking about them anyway because we've got a little bit of time to fill here before we get Paul Moncano on the show here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Um, but yeah, look, if Nate Pearson is who they who they and we think he is, they have a nice one-two punch at yeah, the top of their yep. rotation in Hun Jin Ryu and Nate Pearson. But after that, you have Tanner Roark, you have Steven Matz, and the, who's, who's the other pitcher? Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray, in, yeah. In, in their rotation, who are all reclamation projects.
1: Yeah, and, 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 that's the way I would and, look at and it. And
0: none of them have had success since about 2015, Robbie 2016? Ray's
1: been... Stephen Matts and Robbie Ray have been have been fine the past few years, but just not like they were, you know, a well, couple of years before that. And which is, to be expected, they're reclamation projects, as you mentioned. So.
0: Ex- exactly. And Tanner Roark hasn't been good since he left the Nationals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and even then, his last year with the Nationals, he wasn't great either. Uh, And their bullpen, without Kirby Yates, you have Jordan Romano, who was shaky, getting that save against the Yankees the other day. Um, I just, I don't think there's enough arms there. Fair enough. Look, Vlad Jr. lost 40 pounds. His first at-bat hit a ball, 114.1 <laughs> miles per hour off the bat. That's crazy. Um, up the middle for a base hit. He had two hits in the game, had a, had a walk in the game, had a nice game proving trying to uh, prove that he is still the guy that was once one of the top prospects, if not the top prospect in all of baseball. They're going to hit. They're going right. to hit, and yeah, they might be an 85-win team, but you're not going to convince me that they can do it without the pitching until they do it without the pitching. It's still too early to tell, but I just don't have a lot of faith in that. In that staff, the, the, the good news
1: for the Blue Jays, if it all blows up and you know the starting pitching is just horrible and they all have 60 plus ERAs by the time it's June, July, they can make a trade and get right back into it. You acquire a frontline starter, and you're right in it. I mean that that is, and that's what they kind of did last year with Ty, Ty Walker. He came in and really, really solidified that pitching staff. And you know, adding a guy like Nate Pearson, say you give him two months in the minors or whatever they're planning on doing with Nate Pearson, um, or he could be up tomorrow. Who knows? But whenever he comes up and starts. Actually, making impact, then it, I, I think the Toronto Blue Jays will get a little better. Um, but luckily, you know they have all the time in the world to trade. Um, they could sign a free agent that could work out for them. Who knows? Um, you know, I at Do this you, point there's no one left you, basically. You, but
0: you look at their lineup and there's not a hole. No, there's, there's not. not. I mean, Randall Grichik is playing every day right now. With be, George Springer, because injured. George, George yeah. Springer's injured, and he has two two hits and four bats, including the the, the game winning double against the Yankees on the opening day. I mean, when you're backup for your superstar is a guy who still hit two 280 with right. 15 home runs last year. I mean, come on. Get the hell out of here. They
1: stacked it. I mean, they yeah, they're, they're, they went all out in the past man, couple of years to maybe, stack the lineup.
0: Maybe they stacked it because they know they can't pitch.
1: Maybe. I mean, it, but, it's, it's certainly – I mean, if you look at the Yankees, they're kind of the same way. The Yankees don't, the Yankees don't have an incredible uh, pitching staff of their own. You know, they've had a lot of injuries and stuff like that. So – it, honestly, this whole AL East, besides the Rays, obviously, it is pretty lineup focused instead of the pitching.
0: Dude, and the Rays, come on, man, it's just stupid. You trade away Blake Snell, who's a Cy Young Award winner, and then you still find a way to just dominate. Yeah. Ty-
1: Tyler Glass. Now, I mean, he is he is disgusting. He is one of the best best stuff I've ever seen. Maybe best stuff I've ever seen. It's unbelievable.
0: And he's so freaking dreamy, man. <laughs> he like like. What's up with the hair and, like, the flawless face looking like like Robert Flores said, looking like Prince Charming? <laughs> like, come on, man. He's like Jamie Foxx up in here, can can, uh, J- sing, J- Jimmy, can play sports, the, the can base. act. It, like, like, come on. Come on. What, what about us guys who, like, I'm good at, at talking Orioles baseball? Can't you give me a little something?
1: I, I Glenn, Glenn Clark said uh, if you watch the show when I was on here the other day, he was really he was like Paul's a great looking guy. I don't know if you heard that, but he went. I, out. D- I did not. <laughs> I'm gonna I, have to start listening to Glenn's show more often. Yeah, this was this was GCR on uh, on the Thursday when I was in there. Glenn, Glenn was talking about you, so there you go. I mean, it, maybe Paul's self image is a little bit worse than his uh, than his actual. Oh,
0: you you flatter me, sir.
1: <laughs> yeah, Laura tells me I'm good looking, Look, but I, I don't know. She has to tell me that, t- right? T- if, if Tyler Glass now is baseball's Jamie Foxx, then then Paul Valley is is the broadcast version of Jamie Fox <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh my God! Well, what are we? What are we even talking we, about what, anymore? Just, what is happening? Here? I, I don't, know. I don't my, know. My co-host is hitting on me. We're talking about that's, Jamie. That's Bob's. not accurate. That is not accurate. <laughs> no, no. But we're, hey, we're, look, we're just boosting self-confidence on this no, Saturday. I, I, I appreciate you, and I appreciate Glenn Clark. I, I would have never known if you hadn't <laughs> you told gotta, me. You gotta watch it. Yeah, uh, uh, a, I, I tune in every now and again when I have an opportunity. G- Glenn is usually on during my gym time. I guess I could listen to him, but the. Nothing quite gets you motivated like hearing Glenn Clark talking talking about local lacrosse when you're trying to lift 90-pound dumbbells. But I digress. Um, Orioles, they have the same lineup today as they had yesterday, and we talked a little bit about that with Stan and with Ken Wyman. I don't know if I've ever seen Brandon Hyde use the same lineup no, two it, games it, in a row. I don't think it's ever happened. It, it hasn't been often. Um, if he's done it before, it,
1: it hasn't been often. He is a, a guy who likes to try things, and I think the rebuild's all kind of about trying things and figure out what works best. Um, so to use him, you know, use the same lineup two days in a row is definitely surprising to me. Um, you know, the, when I saw this lineup yesterday, I looked at Rio batting fifth, and I was. A little bit disappointed with that. Um, You know, he's not one of your best bats in that number five spot. I'd rather see a guy like Hayes or even a guy like Michael Franco uh, sitting at number five. But that's the way. You know, I guess it technically worked out yesterday for them. So that's the way he's he's doing it again, and it is surprising for sure.
0: I certainly expected it to to, expected to see Hayes fifth, Franco sixth, Ruiz seventh. Yeah. Uh, Not not Ruiz fifth, and then those guys sixth and seventh. Um, But look. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And after one game, it ain't broke. Now look, it's not like the Orioles tore the cover off the ball. Ryan Mountcastle did. But it's not like the Orioles tore the cover off the ball. But Nathan Navaldi, he did what Nathan Navaldi does to the Orioles. You know, last year, two runs in 19 innings and three starts, went 3-0 and against him. But the Orioles did something to him that they didn't do to him last year. They beat him. This year, he gives up one run and five in the third innings, and he's he, he's the hard luck loser against the Orioles, doing exactly what he did last year, just giving up the one run and just. And, and the other thing is, I don't want to say that he dominated the lineup. Yeah, he he struck out six guys, but I felt like the Orioles took good at bats. I don't feel like, with the exception of Hayes, uh, I don't feel like they were overly aggressive. I feel like they were waiting for their pitch, and a lot there were a lot of hard hit balls. That didn't drop. Right. Uh, Ga- uh, yeah. Galvis flew out to, to the warning track. Mullins flew out to the warning track. Those are two balls that it, it, that two months from now, quite
1: frankly, are home runs. Fenway Park is interesting because uh, there's so many balls that could be home runs in any other park, and you, and Fenway Park takes them away. Um, it, it's such a weirdly designed park. It was you know created in 1918, 1912, somewhere around there. So it's it's obviously a little bit different than a lot of the newer parks and, and the way they're they're designed in the outfield. But yeah, that that ball hit by Galvis. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. That he he struck that ball very hard. Um, that was a you know a, a solid swing and he actually had that double in that game as well. So Freddie Galvez looks like he's off to a pretty decent start. So I, yeah, I was happy to see that.
0: I, 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 I like what I saw from him. He handled every chance at second at shortstop. Excuse me, Mike uh, Michael Franco. First opportunity, he got at third base, booted it. Did, yeah, made, made not, an error. Um, not what you wanted to see, but that could be nerves, or it just could be that he's just not very good defensively, which I think we all know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think nerves play a part in it. Um, you know, he's trying to impress Michael Elias, probably Brandon Hyde, because he is so new to the organization. Um, but I, I think what you mentioned, too, it, it, his defense has just been awful. Um, we noted that on the show multiple times. He's just not a good defender. He's probably not going to be, you know, he's going to p- catch your pop-ups, he's going to catch your, your short ground balls, your easy stuff, but if it's anything more advanced, he's probably going to, you know, at least bobble it and, and hopefully get as many. Outs as possible, but I don't know. It's a it's a question mark.
0: I don't think that he's completely incapable over at third base. Yeah, I, it, I think that that he'll do the job for the most part. But you're not going to see Manny Machado, and we in Baltimore huh, are right. spoiled. Yeah, all right. For those of those old enough, you saw Brooks Robinson at yeah. third base. Then we see a guy like Cal Ripken at third base for a few years before he retires. Then you see a guy like Manny Machado at third base. You're not getting Manny Machado or Brooks Robinson or Cal Ripken. Out of Michael Franco, but I think that he'll handle the position okay, um, and he'll make the plays he needs to make, and he won't make, he won't make some of those plays and. He's not going to get to the balls that those other guys could get to, but that's okay because the Orioles aren't expected to do anything anyway this year.
1: Yeah, I feel like defense has always been a, a focus for the Orioles. You know, guys like J.J. Hardy over the years, and of course you mentioned all, all the great third basemen in Orioles history, Brian Roberts was a good defender. Um, you know, just in the recent past, it seems like the Orioles have tried to build defense a, as kind of a key asset for them, and that's kind of what they've gotten away with, or kind of gotten away from, I should say, in the season a little bit, bringing in a guy like Michael Franco, who's not a very good a good defender, You've got guys like Ryan Malcastle playing the field, who's not very good. Trey Mancini's not great. And, of course, your two catchers are not great either. So it it kind of feels like they've gotten away from it, but I hope that's more of a focus and brought back into focus when they they start competing again. That would be my hope. Yeah.
0: um, And and to, to Trey's credit... He hasn't played first base in quite a few years. Uh, I think he'll be better as the season goes on. He certainly wasn't great in spring training. Mountcastle DH'd yesterday. He's DH'ing again today. I wouldn't be surprised to see him DH again tomorrow. I think they want to save him from that monster early on in the year, keep his confidence at a higher level. Um, but look, the guys that are on this roster right now, like a Michael Franco, probably not here at the end of the year. You're probably going to see somebody else. You might see Rio Ruiz back there playing third base. I thought it was interesting in that in the ninth inning yesterday. Um, Ruiz was shifted over to third base, and Ramon Urias was brought in to play second to end the game. Uh, and that's something that we could see more of um, this coming year. Now on the line, though, from Mass and All Access, we have Paul Moncano. Paul, how are you today? Good. How you guys doing? We're doing well. Really happy to have you on the program. I wanted to get you on here for a while, but opportunity never struck until right now. So happy to, to have you. Uh after the uh, opening day win for the Orioles yesterday, they seemed to be off to a pretty solid start. What are your thoughts on John Means' dominance and Ryan Mountcastle's performance in yesterday's game?
3: Yeah, I mean, that game story definitely had to start and end, I feel like, with John Means. He was absolutely outstanding yesterday. That, that's the John Means that I think we were hoping to see last year in 2020, uh, him kind of take that leap after such a, a great rookie season. Um, and we got it. I mean, seven shutout innings, one hit allowed, five Ks. The late life on his pitches is some of the best that I think we've seen from an Oriole star in a while. Um, and so not beyond just the box score, I think he passed the eye test yesterday. He looked like a true ace. And in this rotation, you're not going to have too many you know, solid answers, I think, in 2021. You may see some bright spots from some young guys, but... For the most part, you're going to get some up-and-down performances. So if John Means can be that John Means uh, most times that he uh, comes up in the rotation, I think this team will be much, much better off.
0: Uh, Certainly. And John Means, like you said, the game story starts and ends with him yesterday. But somewhere in the middle, and a majority of those paragraphs would be about Trey Mancini and him him getting back on the field, coming back from colorectal cancer. Uh, What did it mean to you to see Trey back on the field and contributing to this ball club?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Trey is, is going to be, you know, one of the biggest stories in baseball this year, and certainly the dominant story, I think, for the Orioles, because it, it is just so awesome to see him back on the field. And it is it is just a, an insane whirlwind of a year for him. And, and everybody had a horrible 2020, and this guy had the worst 2020 of all. Um, when you read some of the stories about everything that he went through and um, how he had his family and friends to stick with him through that entire time. And then he shows up early for spring training. He hits three thirty-three in spring, um, and he's back on the field batting second for the Orioles, playing first base. Um, is just an incredible triumph. And I don't know exactly how many games he will be able to play this year, how many games we'll see him at first. I know he's in the lineup again today, but... Um, just for him to get back on the field, even regardless of the results. I know he had the hit and a walk yesterday, but um, pretty much the, he could bat you know, below the Mendoza line, I think, for the first month of the season, and it would still be a win just to have him back on the field playing baseball.
1: Paul, we've talked a lot about you know, Trey Mancini possibly becoming the, the comeback player of the year for the American League. What do you think Trey would have to do to, to win that honor, or, or just is him simply playing 162 games, given that honor uh, automatically?
3: I mean, I'm definitely biased, but in my mind, he has to be the favorite because right. no matter what else you've come back from, I mean, you know, there, I'm sure there are other, there will be other great stories about guys coming back um, that you wouldn't expect and performing at a high level. Um, but how many of them have come back from colon cancer, stage three colon cancer, and missing the entire season? Um, I mean, you know, most players in baseball obviously didn't get as many innings pitched or as many at-bats last year they're all kind of trying to adjust to a full 162 he didn't play any games last year he didn't get a single at-bat other than some at-bats in the cage after he was done his chemotherapy treatment and he'd worked his body back up so you know it is it is going to be a lot to ask of him to to play close to 162 and I think Brandon Hyde will do a good job of Making sure that you know he knows when to keep him in the lineup and when to give him a day off, and um, he can trust his player. And Trey's going to want to be in there every game, but maybe you know take it easy when the dog days of summer hit. But in my mind, Trey's the favorite for that award, just because you know coming back from chemotherapy treatment, stage three cancer, uh, is unlike any other kind of injury that you could come back from.
0: Well, absolutely, and seeing Trey come out and, and perform and actually contribute coming back from that is something that we're going to remember forever here in Baltimore. Uh, and what can make it that much more special? Uh, we just saw that the All-Star Game has been moved from Atlanta because of the, the voting restrictions, and now we're looking at Baltimore is on a list of, I think I saw a list of five cities that could get the All-Star Game. Uh, and if, if you get the All-Star Game in Baltimore, there's a good chance you're going to see Trey on that roster. What would it mean for the city of Baltimore to be able to get that All-Star game after failing to get it for the last half-decade or so?
3: Yeah, I mean, that that would be awesome. Um, obviously, the last time we saw the All-Star game uh, in Baltimore was, what, 1993? Um, and it produced some of the best All-Star game storylines Um you know, in the history of the game, it was the first time that really the nation was kind of introduced to Camden Yards as this new model for a professional ballpark. And that set the stage for this new wave of ballparks being built around baseball. Um, That was such a, an important all-star game when it was there. And I think in order for, you know, if, if, um, i don 't know what the chances are i don 't have any inside info as to whether it could be moved uh, to Baltimore, but I know that the city itself is dying for um, to have the the game back there. I know the mayor tweeted about it yesterday. Um, you know I think it would be an awesome decision if they could could get it done and get it uh, brought to Baltimore because I know the fans would love it. I know the fans would turn out for it um, and I think it would be you know it's a long time coming, a long time since we 've seen um, Oriole park at Camden yards on the big stage like that again. So I, I would love to see it. I don't know what the odds of it uh, happening are, but if it doesn't happen this year, hopefully it can happen at some point soon because, uh, you know the nation's capital got one a few years ago and I think it's high time that Baltimore gets one again.
0: Well, certainly Baltimore is more than a deserving city to get the All-Star Game. And I was telling Zach earlier in the program I was actually at that All-Star Game in 1993. Uh, I remember Mike Mussina getting himself up to warm up and everybody chanting to get him into the game. I remember Randy Johnson throwing behind John, John crux's head. It was, And I remember the final score was American League 9 National League 3. But that, that's about all I remember from that game because I was 8 years old at the time. But certainly <laughs> hope to see Another one of those, and maybe see Juan Soto hit the warehouse in the uh, in the home run derby. That would be a sight for sore eyes. So uh, now, look, yeah. uh, Paul. We thought that we knew this roster this time last week, and then by Saturday night, the Orioles got started on some moves that nobody really saw coming. Yomar Sanchez released. They thought we thought he'd be the starting second baseman. Rio Ruiz moved over to second base. Both Rule Five guys make the team. Which of these moves shocked you the most for the Orioles?
3: I mean, both of them
0: I think were pretty equally shocking. Um, I think
3: the Yolmer Sanchez uh, being the guy that was released was surprising for a lot of reasons. And I think part of it was, obviously, most of the outside observers had him penciled in as your uh, opening day second baseman. And also because he was sticking on the roster on that 40-man through a long offseason in which the roster went through a lot of upheaval. We saw... You know, Renato Nunez, Hanser Alberto removed from that 40-man roster, and Yomer Yul- Sanchez was still sitting there. Uh, you know, he made it through the entire offseason and the, almost the entire spring training schedule still on that roster. So to us, from the outside, I think we saw that as a sign of confidence from the organization that he was going to be able to be that opening day second baseman. Uh, so to <laughs> remove him from that 40-man right before opening day was certainly surprising. But if you could get Rio Ruiz to play that well at second base uh, going forward, then that will not be a problem. Um, I, I was shocked once, you know, Michael Franco was signed. I thought that was going to be the beginning of the end for Rio Ruiz in Baltimore just because, you know, he has shown flashes, especially defensively in his time with the Orioles, but he's never been consistent enough to hold down third base. Uh, and he has not in his career been versatile enough to play shortstop, to play second base until yesterday. And he was phenomenal in the field yesterday, showing great instincts, uh, making that diving stop and stood up and threw to first. Um, It was surprising. I don't know how much we'll get that on a game-to-game basis from him at second base, but after that first performance, uh, Brandon Hyde has to stick him at second for you know, at least I would say the next week or so, see if he can hold down that second base spot, keep Michael Franco at third, um, and then you know, reevaluate in a few weeks. And maybe there are some prospects like a Rylan Bannon or a Jemai Jones that are ready to make their debuts and and take that spot. But for now. Second base is Rio Ruiz's spot, and I'm excited to see what he does with it.
0: Well, you kind of just answered my next question. I was going to ask, if is he now going to get the bulk of the starts at second, or do you think that we'll see an even split between he, Urias, and Vileka? Uh, but now my my next question in regards to that would be, DJ Stewart's set to return, they, they think, by the home opener this coming Thursday. One of those three guys is going to go. Because you're you're not going to get rid of a pitcher when innings are at a premium. Uh, in in going from 60 games to 162, which of those guys comes off the roster to make room for DJ Stewart? Because for all intents and purposes, he's coming back to the major league roster.
3: I think that whoever I predict to come off the roster will be wrong based on <laughs> what Mike Elias and the front office done. I have uh, uh, during the course of spring training, I was making predictions about the opening day roster, about the rotation. And uh, I think I've gone over. Um, but, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, they will have to make room, and I think it's it's a good problem to have because they're going to have a glut of outfielders once D.J. Stewart comes back um, because you're going to have Ryan Boutcastle, who's been kind of pushed out of the outfield for now. He's DHing, but he can play left. Um, and Cedric Mullins, the way that he performed in spring, same with Austin Hayes. You can't keep them out of the lineup, and they're both good enough defensively to keep them uh, at their spots in the outfield. And, of course, Anthony Santander, you got to keep him in, right? So it's going to be tough to predict who's going to go. Um, I think that there could be some maneuvering in terms of pitching. Um, I, I do think, though, that they are probably going to be reluctant to remove one of those pitchers, um, especially to send, you know, one of the Rule 5 guys back. They're probably going to wait as long as they can before they have to send one or two of those guys back. Um, but I could see them kind of working guys back and forth between the alternate site and the big leagues. Um, For example, Travis Lakin's getting option to the alternate site to start the season based on his performance last year. I think he was deserving of making the opening day roster, but I understand what the O's are doing there because Cole Sulcer, you can't option him. He doesn't have any options left. Uh, And Dylan Tate has two options as well. So, you know, you you could see kind of a, uh, a taxi squad, so to speak, between, uh, the alternate site in Bowie in the big league team with that bullpen. You know, you you use a guy for, you know, a couple games in, in a series, option him down to the alternate site, bring up Dylan Tate, bring up Travis Lakin, so to speak. So I think that they could be, they could use that as kind of a, a rotation spot. But, yeah, in, in terms of the position players, I'm curious to see exactly, um, you know, who stays and, and who goes over the coming months because we're going to see, um, you know, uh, D.J. Stewart come back from injury, and then we're going to start to see some of these younger position player prospects make their debuts. Well,
0: and, and I'm 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 glad you just said that, because you did mention Jemai Jones, and I thought that with the release of Yomar Sanchez, that meant that they were warming a spot for Jemai Jones. With that in mind, who do you think is the first prospect we see debut for the Orioles that isn't already on the active roster? In, in other words, not like a Tyler Wells or a Max Giroler.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, Jemai Jones, I thought they... I agree with you there. I think they uh, showed some faith in either Jemai Jones or Ryland Bannon to um, be able to make this roster and get their call up at some point over the course of the next couple months. Uh, Neither of those guys kind of hit the cover off the ball in spring training, um, and Jemai Jones is still only 23 years old, so he's a little bit younger. Um, I could see them calling up Ryland Bannon if depending on the performance of Rio Ruiz at second base or Pat Vilek or, or Ramon Urias, whoever they end up throwing there. Um, and I think that it, it could also just come down to injuries. You know, there, there could be a, an injury to somebody in this rotation. You know, Matt Harvey, you don't know exactly what you're going to get from him over the course of the long haul, and we'll get our first taste of him today. Um, but obviously, you know, he's older than 30. He's had issues with injuries over the course of his career as well as performance over the past couple of years. Um, you've got some older guys in that bullpen between Sean Armstrong and Paul Fry. So you could see maybe um, an Isaac Matson come up and make his big league debut in that bullpen. Um, I think it's probably going to be somebody that we saw most recently, last time we saw them in the minor leagues, play at the AAA level. I think it's unlikely that we'll see somebody who in the 2019 season was playing at the AA level. So that would include guys like Alexander Wells, Zach Lowther, Mike Bauman. I think it's likely to be somebody like Rylan Bannon, who is at the AAA level. Uh, Jemai Jones didn't get any action at the AAA level, but made his big league debut last year with the Angels. Um, and Isaac Matson, who also pitched at the AAA level the last time we saw him on the field. So I think it's probably going to be one of those older guys.
1: Yeah, kind of a, a follow-up question to that, I guess. The taxi squad was announced for the series. It's Richie Martin, Ryan McKenna, Austin Wins, uh, Isaac Matson, and Travis Lakens. Obviously, all of those guys have played in or are very close to the major leagues at this point. Do you read into that taxi squad at all? And is Ryan McKenna as, as close as it, it seems to be um, You know, to the Orioles?
3: You know, last year I really thought, because McKenna was part of the taxi squad for a large portion of the season last year, and I really thought at some point he was going to make his debut because he was out there, you know, shagging fly, fly balls with Ryan Mountcastle, Anthony Santander, and I thought at some point this guy is going to make his uh, his big league debut out of necessity um, because of an injury or, you know, some other health concern or um, just because he, he is ready. Um, and it didn't happen last year. Um, I think that he could still do that. the the question is whether that spot is going to open for him. Um, because you know, between DJ Stewart coming back and all those outfielders we mentioned, um, I think that it's, it's going to be difficult to find a spot for him, but when that spot opens up, I think that he could take it and run with it because he's incredibly athletic. He has gone up in uh, prospect rankings over the past year. Um, he's bulked up. He has more power. I think than people might expect, uh, sold 20-plus bags at the double-A level in 2019 uh, and can legitimately play center field defensively. So um, that guy is going to find a spot uh, in the big leagues at some point soon. But he is still, I think, 23, turns 24 this year, a little bit on the younger side. Um, it's great that he's getting the experience of being around the big leaguers and being a part of that taxi squad. Um, but I, it's, I'm trying not to read too much into it uh, him being a part of that taxi squad just based on what we saw last year.
0: Well, and it's up to the it's up to these players a to play their way on their roster, and b a player on the roster to play their way off. And right now, the Orioles' best position yeah. players are in the outfield, and we see that defensive-minded outfield, with, which also is productive with Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, and. Anthony Santander, and then you have Mountcastle at DH. You have DJ Stewart coming back. It may be a while before we see Ryan McKenna or just Neil Diaz get up, get up to the major league uh, level just because the Orioles might not need them. Now, ineffectiveness and injuries happen, um, so that that could change things. But right now, it seems to be a solid position group. Um, you mentioned Matt Harvey a little bit ago and uh, this is certainly a reclamation project for the Orioles what are you looking for from Matt Harvey today do you have any expectations
3: I'm, I'm trying not to um, just because it's been a long time since we've seen a very a healthy first and foremost and effective Matt Harvey in a regular season game um, you know last year with the Kansas City Royals really very little pressure on him uh, was used out of the rotation out of the bullpen and struggled in both roles and, and couldn't stick with that team long-term. Um, you know, he came into camp this year, uh, has settled and, and done all the right things, um, you know, has, has talked about how he has been working with uh, analytics teams in order to improve um, his pitches, and, and he's really diving into that. Um, but we have not yet entirely seen it. Uh, we've seen some of it in spring training, um, and he was Better, much better at the end of spring training than he was at the beginning of spring training. If, if you know, that Matt Harvey in that first start uh, can stayed that Matt Harvey throughout all of spring training, I don't know if he's on this roster, let alone the second pitcher in this rotation. Uh, but he definitely did improve by the end of uh, spring training. I don't know exactly how much the Orioles expect from him as well. So I think kind of, you know, it, it given the fact that it's a minor league deal that uh, just guaranteed him a million dollars for making the team. I don't think that the expectations are particularly high. But that being said, I mean, he has shown some flashes. And, you know, he some of his off-speed pitches looked phenomenal by the end of spring training, and he was actually getting guys to swing and miss. Uh, and, you know, that fastball, he wasn't just relying on velocity. He was also um, trying to improve the movement of that fastball and the spin rate of that fastball. So... I think anything that the Orioles get out of him could be a bonus this year. I I don't have too high expectations, but um, I'm sure uh, I'm not alone here, and I hope that I'm pleasantly surprised by what we see of Matt Harvey because that would be an awesome story. It would be so great to see him um, kind of reclaim the magic that he had earlier on in his career. Uh, in Baltimore.
0: Well, and, and he certainly doesn't throw 100 miles an hour anymore, but John Means proved yesterday you don't need to throw 100 to be effective, and he hits 95. Means was hitting 90-93 yesterday. You can be effective and not not hit triple digits with your fastball. So I'm excited yeah. and cautiously optimistic to see what he can provide. Um, we do have a segment that we do here um, that we do with our final guest during the regular season, Paul, and we're going to get that, to that in a second. But real quick, tell us about Mass and All Access and what your role is with that.
3: Sure, uh, Mass and All Access is—you uh, can find it just about anywhere that uh, that you have internet. <laughs> Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Uh, we have the podcast that I host with Brendan Mortenson. Uh, we do that once a week, and then uh, we could go live to for breaking news. We have segments uh, on some of the minor leaguers. We're hoping to get uh, you know down to some minor league ballparks this year at some point once the minor league season starts back up, and continue our interviews with some of the minor leaguers. Um, and just everything behind the scenes um, uh, with Masson and, and with the Orioles. So Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, at Masson Orioles. Uh, go Give us a follow.
0: Yeah, we certainly will, and you, you give a lot of great content and we're looking forward to getting back to again this Thank year. You. And you've, you've been around with Masson for a few years now, so it's nice to have you on our program. Uh, now, Paul, I mentioned that we do a segment with our guests in the final um, slot of the show, and we call this segment Take to Rake. Uh, I am the defending 2020 champion, and I got to pick first last week. Um, Basically what we do is we take a player. um, I, I take a player, Zach takes a player, and our guest takes a player that we expect to have the best week for the Orioles between our shows. So from Saturday to Saturday, or Saturday to Friday. Last week I took Ryan Mountcastle. They only have one game. And he had the, the the big blow of the game, the two-run double off the green monster. John Mioli took Trey Mancini. Uh, he went one for three with a single and a walk, but a base running blunder and two double plays. Zach took Austin Hayes. Um, who went zero for four? Not my not my best pick. With, it's with, gonna get better, I promise. With with three strikeouts. Now Zach came in last place last year, and he's off to another torrid start <laughs> this year with that pick. Um, so because I won yesterday, I pick first again today. Now the rules here are simple: you pick a player. Uh, you can't mm-hmm. pick the same player that you picked last week. So last week, um, or or the anyone pick or the anyone pick. So so jo- last week, John Mioli picked Trey Mancini. So our guest this week in this case, you, Paul. Uh, you can't pick Trey Mancini. I'm not going to tell people they can't pick players that were picked last week. Okay. I don't, I don't think that that's fair <laughs> enough. Um, we're, we're, we're changing the rules daily on the yeah, show. <laughs> we're, we're trying to come up with this. There will be some kind of trophy or something at the end of the year. Um, but my pick today is Anthony Santander. Um, Paul, you get to go second. Who are you taking for take to rake?
3: You know what? I might go Michael Franco. Okay. I feel like this, this could be uh, this could be the week that he kind of introduces himself to, uh, to Birdland as uh, the guy that uh, you know we saw a little bit in Philadelphia and uh, saw a little bit last year with the Royals. He's got a flair for the dramatic. Maybe a, a walk off home run. Oh. Uh, but I think he hits. His, I think he hits at least his
0: first home run as an Oriole this week. You know, I like that pick because it's not an obvious choice, right, but right. it's a solid choice. I think that was going to be Zach's pick. No, that was, that was not. Gonna be you my look pick. disappointed. See, here, here's the question:
1: <laughs> If if I go with someone that you picked last time, it's going to look a little bit too easy. So I'm going to throw something out there a little bit more different. I guess I'm going to get Cedric Mullins as my guy. Um, you know, maybe some stolen bases, maybe some solid, um, you know, maybe some solid base hits, maybe a little bit of power. He hit one, you know, pretty deep yesterday. So. So Cedric Mullins is my guy.
0: All right. So there you have it. I'm taking Anthony Santander. Paul Moncano is taking um, Michael Michael Franco. Franco. And Zach Goodman is taking Cedric Mullins for Take to Rake. We will be back next Saturday to divulge the winner of Take to Rake. Um, Hopefully it's me again. Uh, but, But we shall see. Paul, thank you so much for joining the program. It was an excellent segment. We certainly appreciate you coming on today.
3: Awesome. Yeah. Thanks guys for having me. Sorry about the dogs barking in the background. Uh, It happens all the time these (laughs) days
0: with the pandemic. Everybody's doing stuff from home. So, and we'll be sure to let you know the results of Take the Rake next week. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Have a great week. Take care. That was Paul Moncano from Mass and All Access, gracious enough to join our program today, and a lot of intel there, and a really great segment from Paul. Really great show. It was a great show. A really great uh, show yeah, today. it was a great show. Uh, and we just mentioned, you know, he, he was apologizing for the dogs barking just a little bit. Uh, he, was, he was apologizing for the dogs barking in the background, and that's just something that happens when everybody's doing their programming from home because we're in the middle of a pandemic, and yes, we are still... In the middle of a pandemic. And while vaccines are here and there's reason to be encouraged, COVID 19 is still a very real threat. Folks, masks aren't going away anytime soon, as much as we want them to. Not going away anytime soon. So let's wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Pressbox is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20 inch net gator, plus a Celebrate 8 purple net gator honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over the ear two ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks, folks. They are not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams and being respectful to those around you. Get your masks right now at pressboxonline.com/masks. That's pressboxonline.com/masks to get yours now.
1: All right, the latest edition of PressBox is available now on the cover. A lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college lacrosse feature introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of the area's schools. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at Pressbox online. Dot com. We're gonna catch a break, and when we get back, we're gonna finish up the show.
4: or go to c3america.com for a free analysis.
5: Guys, we're almost there. As a lot of people have said, we are at the 10-yard line, but the COVID-19 pandemic is not quite over, so we need to continue to be vigilant, do the right things, including wearing our masks, and if we're going to wear them, why wouldn't we wear masks that represent our favorite teams and players? Home team masks available right now, pressboxonline.com slash masks. we got a purple and orange state flag neck Gator for you as well as the celebrate 8 mvp neck Gator, and an over the ear faded distress state flag and traditional colors mask they're available pressboxonline.com slash mask let's get this over with wear our masks home team masks
4: hey dad can we try one of those hoagie
2: things (sighs) sorry son we aren't hoagie people what do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farm sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know.
4: Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real
6: fresh, real fast, Royal Farms.
4: For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now on the cover. A lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman and much more. Inside find our special college lacrosse feature introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of the area schools. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations including 60 Royal Farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com.
1: All right, make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4 available in hybrid or gas only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. We're back with the final segment of our show.
0: Yeah, uh, really, really good show today. Everything was really fluid. It, we had a lot of great guests with Stan the Fan, Charles, who's always good, and then Ken Wyman, who was fantastic, Paul Moncano, who was equally fantastic, Fantastic! Just a good show today. A really nice show to follow up. A nice opening day win for the Orioles. Again, they're going up against the Red Sox in Game 2 of this three-game series with Matt Harvey. The Dark Knight hopefully rises, uh, making his first career Orioles start. Uh, he'll be taking on Tanner Houck of the Boston Red Sox, who went 3-0 and with a 0.53 ERA Yikes. last year for the Red Sox in three starts, one earned run in 17 innings. This is the type of guy that gives the Orioles trouble. A young yeah. stud pitcher coming up from the minor leagues, um, you know, getting his got his feet wet last year. Former first-round pick in 2017, who certainly looked the part last last season in a small sample size for the Red Sox, so we'll see if the Orioles can handle him running out the same lineup today as they did yesterday, and then of course the series finale with local product Bruce Zimmerman going up against former Angels standout Garrett Richards of the Red Sox tomorrow afternoon at one on Easter Sunday. Uh, any closing thoughts from you, Zach, on the, today's show? No, I don't really think I have any. Um, just I guess go O's and, and hopefully take the series from Boston. Yeah, hopefully, you know, it's easy to take the series when you win game one, yeah. so the Orioles only have to win one of the next two to take this series, much like they did in the uh, opening series last year with the Red Sox, though they lost the first game and had to win the last two. Um, Look, this Orioles team, they could surprise some people. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they might be a little bit better than people expect. John Mean certainly got them off to a good start. We're going to both go home and catch the beginning of this Orioles game, hopefully here in a little bit. Uh, so that's going to do it, do it for us here on the Bat Around from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. As always, people with this pandemic still going on, uh, be socially distant, be safe, be healthy. We'll see you next week. See ya!